don't hit on them. It's like, no, 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 no. I'm, I work here. You know, you got to do that whole thing. Um, <laughs> well. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> well, you know, I don't have that icebreaker, man. You're, you're <laughs> anyway, man, it's good to have you on, man. It's good. It's, it's been a long time coming. Yep. I've been working uh, pretty hard to try to get this shit going, and I'm really, really excited because every every conversation so far I've had have has been a blast. Cool. So it can only be down here. No, no, no I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> hey, nice. Nah, man. Yeah, man. So um, now you're you're the. It's funny, as I said earlier, this is becoming the Something Magic podcast. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you're part of the Something Magic. You're yeah. The core group. Yeah. Apparently so. Yep. Yeah. How's the how's the new act coming along? Have you thought about it? <laughs> well, it I kind of react to you say the core group because um, I turned up to the first something magic as a spectator and was really like, wow, that's really cool. I want to be part of that. And I was really jealous. And then I was part of something magic too. I was part of something magic three. I'm now part of something magic four. And I'm introduced as part of a core group. So it's like, awesome. I've penetrated that crowd and they realised <laughs> that um, whatever. And I'm getting away with it. So yeah, that's I mean, cool. you've done more. Than, I mean, I've done one so far. I was yeah. supposed to do two, then I, I almost caught COVID, which it wasn't actually COVID, but yeah, but you couldn't, did. couldn't have known. Yeah, but let's celebrate. You've made good choices. So that was cool. <laughs> that was, yeah. Um, but how's the act coming along? Yeah. Um, good. I've got... I've got something that I'm really comfortable with. I've got something that I'm comfortable with, but in a very sort of new, possibly artistically pretentious presentation, which is a new presentation for it. So I'm interested to see how that goes. And then I'm sitting down with something and just seeing how far I can get with it in the time. And then on the night, I'll see how much I can get away with. <laughs> So, yeah. Um, Sounds yeah. like you're way further than I am, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> the, I do the classic thing of just putting it off until it's like, oh, fuck, there's a meeting tonight. Shit. And then I just start putting yeah. some shit together and try to bring it to the group. I've Basically, as far as I've gotten is I, <clears throat> you know, my premise, right? My premise for this one was I want to do a full mentalism routine, yeah. which I don't typically really do. Uh-huh. I look, I, I think, okay, I'm going to sit, sit down, try to come up with something. I like, open, I like take a look at all my mentalism books. So I put them across, like aside, you know, start looking through them. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, oh, like, it's just so, it just seems so uncomfortable. It seems so pretentious. It seems so, I mean, just for me, you know? Yeah. And then I'm like, okay. I look up, I'm like, I remember I had some, uh, some comedy mentalism, like pamphlets. So I go through those and I'm like, it's just hacky comedy g gag after another, you know, it's just trash. I'm like, oh God, I don't have anything. I, there's some things I found that were like, maybe I'll, maybe I'll throw them in just for fun. But uh, I'm pretty, as, as, as it usually happens, I'm pretty nervous about it. Yeah. I, yeah, I think I go for the, like riding on the high off the last one, which was freaking awesome. Um, if you was there, thank you. If you wasn't, you missed out. And um, I think riding on the high from the last one, I kind of sat down and like, right, 
let's get sorted and let's find something. And then I realized that I was possibly duplicating the same effect, but different version as Morris. Mm. So I'm like, cool, that's cool. Give Morris that way. And there's other ideas that I'm working on. I found the stuff that I'm doing and I found all the resources and tried stuff out. But now it's like, yeah. They're put, I, I'm probably going to leave it till the last minute. But that's the joy <laughs> of working with a team. And hopefully after our chat tomorrow with us all, we get some rehearsals in that give us the deadline. Because at the moment, the deadline is the 27th. Yeah. And I think me and you would work right up close <laughs> to the bat on that, wouldn't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would be, you know, the night before being like, oh, shit, and start writing. You know, I mean, it's it's terrible. I mean, I did that all through high school. I, I think in my last year of high school, I pulled like, and every time I say this number, I feel like it gets bigger. So I'm, I'm going to try to be conservative. But I swear, I swear I did between 30 and 40 all-nighters, like in that year. So I was just constantly sleep deprived, like mm. just perpetually. I, I remember going to school passing out on the bus, you know, like, like it was a, like quite a long ri- drive because we were quite far away. And then like waking up, oh, we're at school, shit, run to the first class. Like it, it was just like the uh, the one where they called attendance or whatever. So there wasn't an f- actual class. I'll just sleep through that. Then I'd go to the, ne- you know what I mean? Like I was yeah. just constantly perpetually sleeping. And uh, yeah, so I'm, pr- I'm like very, very bad at that. If, if, if there's no deadline, I will just not do shit. Yeah. yeah. I can... I can remember seeing someone, must have been late 20s, yeah, late 20s, early 30s for me, and I saw someone at 5 o'clock in the office I shared with them. They put their pad there, their pen there, they switched their screen off, said that they've done their to-do list, and they left. And I just sat there and went, how do you do that? Like, it just blew my mind that that was possible. Yeah. So it's funny because I I find that we're similar in that way. Like, we we have, like, similar... And maybe that's why we become very fringe. You know, we go through these, like, oh, I'm not going to do the mainstream thing. of Because it's more like... It's not that we don't want... At least for me. It's not that I don't want to be an office worker. It's that I fucking can't. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I like I look at my friends that are like, like I have a friend who's who did a a law degree and then halfway through he like he did a he's like oh I'm just gonna add uh, computer science to it and then ended up not even working in law. He finished all both degrees, but he en- ended up not even working in law. He just does programming now, and he just goes to work and just programs away. And then he's like, yeah, man, I love it. You know, it's built. And I'm like, like I don't I don't envy the money that he that he makes. I don't envy you know, anything else apart from the fact that he can enjoy this shit. You know what I mean? Like, I just wish I could enjoy something boring as hell, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree with a lot of that. And <laughs> I, I kind of look at, like, I've done some pretty odd things in the past. Like, I've, one of my first jobs was stuffing envelopes and putting things in envelopes for mailing companies. And then I worked at a printer's and that was fun. And then I become a salesman for a print company. And that was kind of 
a desk job, but because I had finishing and printing experience, I got to go down on the floor and actually do for physical stuff as well. And that, but yeah, I did have that office job, well, that desk job for a wee while. How was and, that? Ah, oh, it it was like a pair of scratchy underpants. It <laughs> it didn't fit good, and yeah, it didn't work out. And yeah, and from that experience, it's like, nah, that, I'm definitely not. I knew I weren't that person, and the person that employed me and I put in that position did me a lot of favors and did me a lot of great stuff, and it was a great experience. But I realized it wasn't for me. And yeah, like I'm dyslexic. So dyslexia is a, the traits of dyslexia is we struggle with words. So anything written, so either writing it, reading it, speaking it, even hearing it to some things is and processing it. It's like we don't go down the neurotypical route and and we do things in unusual ways. So and so how like what's the difference between I mean I, obviously it's it's hard to you know it's, it's sort of it's almost like when I explain ADHD yeah. to a neurotypical person I almost don't have a frame of reference of what a neurotypical experience is. Like I understand I can see it outside, I can see it externally. But I can't figure out what their internal experience is, that they can just do shit. Like, I only know my own experience, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I can sort of give vague things, like, you know how this happens to you sometimes, well, that happens to me all the time, or whatever, but it's like, I still don't have a point, a real point of reference to fully explain and compare the two states, because I've never had a different state. No. But if you were to somehow go down that route, I mean, I know it's very difficult, how would you, because I've always just, you know, you hear about it, you hear dyslexia. Yeah. And it's just, oh, it's, yeah, you can't write. Like, you jumble your words. Mm -hmm. But, like, obviously that impacts you probably in a, you know, that 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 issue with the processing probably impacts you in other scenarios or in other ways as well, right? Like your mental states or your your ways of interfacing with the world. Yeah. I Like, I, I really like what you say about, like, people asked us to explain it, but, like, we're sitting somewhere else we don't understand where they're sitting and they don't understand where we're sitting and somehow we're supposed to make sense of all of this. Like, it, it, it's really hard. And Bring that mic a little closer. Oh, yeah, no just, worries. Yeah. If you sure. sit away, just bring it with you. Oh, yeah, yeah it's fine. Sure. And I think, I think the other thing to bear in mind, again, I don't know about this as much with ADHD, but I know it's similar, is... Two dyslexics can be different. So they're both dyslexic, but they're both different. And and what I do is I explain to people purely about me. Mm. So it's I can read and process that information fairly okay. I can read it. And that I do have a reading age of probably about 11 or 12 year old. But if I read something, I'm a little slow than someone of my age would be. But the knowledge goes in. Now, if you ask me to read something here, 
and ask me about it, I'll probably be like that. It comes straight out. If you ask me to write about it, it's a train wreck. Mm. The words, the information from here to the hand and remembering the shapes to make all go right. This is working way faster than this. I start getting anxious. So now this uh-huh. just catches fire and decides it's going to work faster to push this along. Mm. And this decides to have a meltdown. And that is that is my my thing with dyslexia. Right. It's 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 getting that information out in a written form which is an issue the way you're describing it makes me makes me picture like the way my parents now they've they've sort of got a lot better with technology but i remember initially right like i mean a few years ago if if i got my dad to to type something he'd have to go a n d like just one finger, you know, they'd be yeah. typing with one finger looking for the next letter. So it's almost like the way the way you're describing it, it's almost like you're having to process individual letters in a word. Like, you know, like when I think of a word and I'm writing it, I think the word and like subconsciously I can, my, my subconscious takes over for writing that full word. I don't have to think letter by letter yeah. by letter, right? So if I had to think letter by letter, I, I assume then it would break up my processes for thinking about, the concepts or the words that I'm trying to write or anything else at a bigger scale, right? Yeah. Is that somewhat accurate? Yeah, yeah, that's close. And like, you know, it's it's like you explained your dad. He's trying to remember for the pattern and the order of the keyboard. Mm. And that is what the block is. Yeah. Whereas the block for me is somewhere in <clears throat> here which is different to everybody else. So is I'm just checking what I'm going to say is correct <laughs> if I agree with it. It's is is my keyboard in my head set differently to everybody else's and I think it is. Right. And now and then how I connect and move around that is where the uh, uh, Mm-hmm. And as soon as that starts, everything starts to slow down. And then you have emotional reactions based yeah. on, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. you know, there's, like, how can I make this, like, me writing turns into a freaking train wreck. Handwriting is a train wreck. But my hand-to-eye coordination and my skills with my hands, I can juggle. I can manipulate, mm. I can paint. So, like, you know, I've got the control there, but my writing's, <laughs> yeah. You know, but give me a computer that I can talk to, sweet. Mm. If I can talk to it and it types, that's freaking awesome. Yeah. If it's got a keyboard. Because now you're thinking in whole words. You're not, yeah. you're not having to process shapes and process these individual yeah. patterns. Like, yeah. yeah. Give me a keyboard and a computer that's good. And the spell check is freaking awesome. Oh, nice. You know, but even weirder, we brought an old typewriter and it was a recon typewriter and stuff. And um, I can even process stuff quicker out on the typewriter 
and people around me that know my quirks, like my wife, yeah, she can read and interpret my handwriting, but when it's a real t- train wreck, there's just nothing there. Can you read it back afterwards, or you, it's, it's gone? So I can. I can, but sometimes I can't, and sometimes it is like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. But normally, if I can pick... If I can pick up the words before, I remember what I was talking about, and then I can say, yeah, that word is cauliflower. Mm-hmm. I've only said cauliflower because there was a shopping list incident <laughs> the other day and stuff. But, yeah, but on a typewriter, I can type everything out. Things ain't spelt correct, but people that know me can read it far better than my handwriting, and even people that don't know me can read it and go, yeah, I know what it means, just that there's no full stops and every fifth word is spelled incorrectly. Right. But it's like, yeah, if I handwrit that, you wouldn't be doing so well. Right. <laughs> so, okay, let me ask you this, right? So uh, with ADHD, at least in my experience, and I'm, again, it's the same thing with ADHD, right? There's, well, there's two official classifications. There's eight. They've changed it a bunch. Yeah. They don't even use ADD anymore. They use ADHD PI or ADHD uh, PH. Yeah, which is primarily inattentive or primar- primarily hyperactive. And these are like two s- sides of the spectrum, but you can sort of have overlap as well. So some people get double fucked, yeah. <laughs> but they get both. Uh, I'm more on the inattentive side. So I don't have problems with standing still as much, or even though I bite my nails and I have all these quirks. But like my dad, for example, he, I mean, you try to get him to sit still somewhere. <laughs> I mean, he'll go in a public setting and he'll talk for people two minutes. Like he'll talk to someone for a minute, you know, the craziest uh, icebreaker, instant friends sort of type of person. But then after a minute, he gets bored and goes to the next person. Ba, 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 ba. Bored next, next person. You know, I'm just like looking at him like, this is exhausting, man. Like, you know, for me, the initial like, you know, op- uh, the initial minute with like the the kind of shallow conversation is the is the things that I, I don't like the most. You know what I mean? Like that's the what really drains me actually. But for him, it's just he just needs to be going, go, 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 next, 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 next. You know, I don't have that. I just can't concentrate. So I just my mind starts wandering. You know, I start to, you know, and I actually think we were talking about the headphones. Yeah. I think the headphones lock me in, which I'm actually really enjoying because I can hear myself. I can hear you, and it's like. We're right here. There's nothing else going on, you know? Anyways, it's a bit of a tangent. Yeah. But for me, ADHD, it has its negatives. But there's also some things like, uh, which arguably are from the autistic spectrum, uh, the obsession. I mean, you know, I can hyper-focus on something and, and get obsessed and it, I'll make m- more progress. I'll outwork anyone in an obsession. Like if I'm obsessed about something, I will take on the challenge to outwork anybody in the world. You know what I mean? <laughs> but the problem is I can't control the obsession. So sometimes it'll just derail and all of a sudden I should be doing this, but I'm like 14 hours deep on re rebuilding my new board game box. You know, like it's just it, it's uncontrollable at points. So there's positives, but obviously the negatives outweigh it, but there's still these like sort of superpowers that it gives me sometimes. Do you find that it affects like dyslexia affects are there any positive things that you've like, or do you think that it's shaped you in a way like maybe your magic or maybe something that makes you think differently about things? 
Oh, I, I see dyslexia as a gift and I see it as an incredible thing. And the, the negative side of dyslexia is when people have got dyslexia and they can't explore that side of them and they're being kind of, they're either not aware of it or they're just sitting there going, ah, I'm different or I'm not them. What's wrong with me? And that's a dreadful place to be. And in my past, I've been labelled as sort of slow, uninterested, not working hard enough and stuff like that. But... Amen. Amen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's going to be a lot of neurodiverse people going, <laughs> yeah, that, that that sounds familiar. And But the thing is, is like the positives of it is like, I don't know. I have this creativity, but I think what makes you creative is when something is seen as different. So now if we talk about this neurotypical thing, which, you know, I kind of feel is it's a, a stra- of, It's a strange term because it, like, what, is, what is typical? Yeah, I've, I think it's a myth. Um, this is going to sound random. I may explain this, I may not. Um, when I was in a locked mental institute ward in Australia, the therapist there said to me, normal only exists on the washing machine. Um, I was actually there as a visitor. I wasn't there as an <laughs> inmate, honest. Um, that's a good, that's a start to a yeah. bit, to a comedy bit right there. Yeah, yeah. but like, yeah. Um, but like, people go from A to B and they go in a straight line. I... And most dyslexics may kind of walk to be in a wiggly line wearing a hat with ears, you know, like whatever. We do it differently. And that, I think, is what gives us the creativity. And the other thing is, is I feel that I have a different viewpoint on the world because what everyone sees as the way and what's there and what's normal, want of a better word. It's like, well, no, it's interesting, it's different. Or it's like, I see something else there. Or I look at it thinking, oh, that's strange, you know. And I think it really does give us that ability to look and interpret stuff differently. And, you know... One thing I can remember is being in a training room and there was a set of exercises we had to do and one of them I breezed through and everyone else in the room struggled. Mm. And everyone went, oh, you did that really well, Alan. And I went, yeah. And in my head, and I spoke to someone from afterwards, I said, like, you know, filling that form in that was being passed around with her name and the other information at the beginning of the day was the most stressful thing for me, for everyone else that was just saying you're doing 30 seconds. Mm. It was really stressful for me. I felt I had to do it in 30 seconds. And I took 40 seconds and I got it out and I got it done. But it was stressful for me. Mm. This exercise, 
was freaking weird, but it was fun. And they're like, oh no, it was it was really stressful because it didn't make sense. And the and the clues said this and this said that. And you're like, and I, I live in sense. doesn't make I live in that world, baby. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like it's like, yeah, it was just another clusterfuck for me. It was just another <laughs> weird pile of nuts, you know? It was just yeah, that's that's my everyday. And someone actually said to me, Thank you for that, because I've always wondered what it was about. Mm. And what went on, and now I've seen you sit and easily do an exercise that everyone else has struggled with. It's like, oh, okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think, yeah, I think things like that are the gifts of dyslexia and gifts of these things. You, you have the ability to interpret the world differently. And because you are just going down different routes, you're going to come up with different answers. And, yeah, I get obsessed by stuff. I get ridiculously focused on stuff. Um, I've got notebook on my phone. I've got the camera on my phone. But I'm usually never far away from a notepad and some paper. Because if an idea gets in here, that's it. There's nothing else exists. And I've got to get that idea out on a piece of paper for a sketch, a drawing, a word. It might even just be a set of numbers. And I put it down. Now that piece of paper just sits there. The brain can now think about keeping a relationship, <laughs> shopping, <laughs> you know, and whatever. But as soon as I pick that piece of paper up again, it's like bang, I'm back, mm. and that. But yeah, if I ain't got a piece of paper, it's like freeing up, freeing up mental RAM, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. like you know the the old computers that used to only be able to do one job at a time and used to program them. It's a bit like that, but it's in the sense of yeah, you get obsessed and you can't leave your idea down. But as soon as it's on the piece of paper, I call I call I refer to it as sort of neurons to molecules. As soon as it becomes a physical thing, I can leave it there and think about something else. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I mean, like I, I, <clears throat> I. It took me a while to because I got diagnosed really late. I was in my last year of high school, eighteen. Because I mean, for me, until I had a you know super strict upbringing. My mom was like, you know, typical Eastern European parent. You got to be the best. I don't give a fuck. You know, you just, you got to hustle. You got to, you got to study. You got to do this. So for most of my schooling life, I just, I was breezing through everything, you know, getting away with doing all nighters and leaving it to the last moment and cramming, you know? Um, I mean, I remember in, in, <laughs> in one of my, in my speech, uh, in my last year, like English class last year at school, uh, I was I finished writing the speech as my name got called up to go and tell the speech, <laughs> and so I was just I basically just and I, I I did decent I got a merit on it so you know so like I could do all these things, but then I think at that point towards the end of high school I that's when the you know the the material became hard enough that I couldn't really just rely on my working memory you know to just cram the night before, and so. Uh, I, I went and got diagnosed and all the stuff. Um, but for the longest time I saw it as like, God damn it. Why the fuck do I got this shit? You know, like it's because you, everything starts to click. You go, Oh, and that's why I was like this. And that's why, you know, growing up, I struggled with this and that. And that's why I felt different. 
you know? And until then you just, you just think I'm a weirdo, like, you know, cause yeah. you just have no explanation as to why people don't seem to connect with you or, or why you seem to never like in a group setting, you, people are laughing and you've, you've zoned out. So you have no idea why people are laughing. And so now you got to somehow, you know, that juggled that dynamic. And so there was a lot of these moments where I, I felt weird and I didn't know why, you know, and for the, you know, for a few years after I got diagnosed, I, I sort of, I, I was very angry about it. You know, I was very like kind of frustrated at the world, you know, and it, it, it came, you know, over time I started appreciating the, the, the positives and I started appreciating like, wait, th this is the thing that I have over everyone else that no one else has, you know, there's this uh, really big YouTuber. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen, you've probably seen his videos at some point on YouTube called his, his channel's Daily Dose of Internet. Oh, yeah. He makes really short videos every day, like really interesting animal videos or whatever whatever viral videos are going on. And he kind of cuts them together and it's just posts like a minute videos. Um, and there was an interview he did and he's he's got ADHD. And he talked about how he, he used his ADHD to, I guess, you know, win the market because when he edits, he will look at a video and for most people, you know, they, they don't have a dopamine deficiency, which is the working theory, but I mean, there's probably much deeper complex issues than just dopamine deficiency. But let's say like you're dopamine starved, right? That's, that's kind of a simplification of ADD. Um, so to, to most people, they're perfectly happy to watch whatever the fuck because they're just okay, you know, they're just baseline satisfied. But to an ADHD person, things become boring quick, right? So what he does is he watches a video and as soon as he notices his brain shift, he goes, oh, this part's not interesting, cut, right? Wow. So he uses exactly what his brain does to cut to the most important, interesting parts of the videos. And so that's why they're so short. That's why, you know, so in a, in a, in a, in a culture, in a society where, attention spans are getting shorter based on the type of content where, you know, the TikToks, the reels, the everything's getting, you know, fast food entertainment, right? Yeah. Um, to have a predisposition to that type of brain makes you much better at doing that type of content. Absolutely. So when, you know, when I heard that, I, I really sort of reframed my view on it. And I'm like, yeah, that's true, you know? And, and in conversation as well, you know, if I notice myself, not that I'm getting bored, but I'm just saying, if I notice my mind start to wonder, I go, okay, what's interesting about the last 30 seconds we talked about and what's not interesting about the next 10 that we just went entered in. So I navigate back to the interest, you know? Um, I mean, we don't know yet because the, the episodes aren't out. It could be, I could be very terrible at this, but. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm enjoying myself. Yeah, it's, it's great. Um, so I, I've, I've sort of learned to appreciate the benefits as well. Mm. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I like I to I totally agree with you. And there was something you were saying at the beginning of that that I was trying to hang on to remember. But like, yeah, you were saying about just that general feeling of like seeing stuff differently and that processing of stuff. And like that thing about that guy really interests me. He's he's using what what he has as a way of editing and speaking to the world around it. And I think it's very interesting of how much, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how much he cuts out of stuff and how much people still interpret that thing the same way. 
Yeah, I, I've actually, because I there was some a couple instances where I've seen the full video. Yeah. And, um, you know, before he edited it, you know, like I would just watch a viral video and then it would end up being on one of his episodes. And I, I was actually surprised that he cut so much, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, but he's done this a long time. So he, the thing is, once you edit a certain, that's the thing about even even for this for this podcast show, um, uh, editing the reels, I don't have any um, reference point because I haven't posted a bunch of reels yet. So I don't have a reference point of which types do well, which types don't do well. Mm-hmm. Like with the reaction videos, I could already tell, oh, this one's going to be big. You know, I had a sense, I had a feeling for, because I've done hundreds of those types of videos. Yeah. Um, but so he's done the same thing, but for that exact type of format. So he just has that exact kind of attuned, you know, understanding of what's going to do well and what's not going to do well. Cool. Yeah. Um, flipping back a bit because that's how my mind works, but you were talking about like how you felt, uh, a frustration and did you say an anger when you was hundred percent? Yeah. So I was, a. Uh, like I'm, I'm sitting here as a forty-seven-year-old person now, and that. But when I was at school, I was struggling because, again, when I wrote the information down, it wasn't coming out. But when I spoke about it, I was freaking shit hot. And but then because the writing wasn't my that was my weak point that was my Achilles ill every time I was tested the reading and the writing was my weak point when I was tested I was being put in lower sets Mm. but the thing is is I was put in the wrong set yeah because I couldn't get the information out and it was an English teacher and like I must have been about 14 yeah, 14, it was the last two years of secondary school in the UK. And a teacher set us a task, an English teacher, and I went in with a book at the end of her holidays and I said, look, I've read this for the amount of time you said each day, but I'm still only halfway through the freaking book. Then we had. she said, well, just keep reading it. You catch up. We've got to work for it. Cool. And then towards halfway through that project, she called me to one side and she goes, have you ever heard of dyslexia? And I'm like, no. She's like, well, the way you talk in class about the information is incredible. It's a, like, it's a phenomenal level. How you write about it is way below and like she goes, it's way below where you're at, where you should be at, and it's way below. But the difference between how you speak about it and how you write about it is scary. Mm-hmm. And she goes, and that is a trait to dyslexia, this yeah. wide difference. How old were you when, when this was? Well, that was this? when I was 16, okay. I was like 14, 16, around that time. But the thing is, is that was it. 
this word was thrown at me. Mm. Nothing was done about it. Nothing was there. There's no framework for me to go and be tested. Is there? That, a, is there? A, there's no treatment for it, is there? Not really. Right. Um, remind me about treatment in a bit. I, I'm on tangents already. Yeah, sorry, sorry. No, 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 no. It's good. Um, so, so like, I was on this thing and I just went off and did. Like, I was never tested for dyslexia. I didn't really know what it was. And then all through my life, people that met me and that would mention this word dyslexia again. Again, I still had no idea what it was. We didn't have the internet then. There wasn't really places to go. And and it was just very sort of like, okay, whatever that means. And then... I worked at a printer's and one of the manager's partner was dyslexic. Mm. And then through that, I started to understand what dyslexia was. But it wasn't until I was working at the Science Museum in London, aged 29, that I actually got sent and it was a sort of right to a right to access kind of, there was this real sort of disability access bill passed in the UK. So every building had to be accessible by someone in a wheelchair. But in the same rights, I don't need a ramp to access my work, but I might need a bit of software that I can speak to my computer and it helps me. So, So through that, I was tested for dyslexia. And it at the time, the... Average test cost around about three to four hundred pounds, which mm. is a lot of money. Um, so that's a barrier. You have to have it done by a special person in a special place, which I find a bit odd, but there we go. And then I went and had this test, and some beautiful things happened in that test. First of all, They have all these sort of skill requirements and then they have weak and strong and then they have a shaded line down the middle that was average. And every cross, and they almost went alternative, every cross was either at the really strong or the really weak. Mm. And at the end, she showed me this thing and explained it to me and I went, are you telling me that I am scientifically proven as not being average in any way? <laughs> and she, yeah, she laughed and went, yeah. And then there was this moment where we both looked at each other and she could just tell. I was like, this is freaking awesome. I'm not average in any way. <laughs> and and it, it makes sense. It's, it's there in this crazy-ass zigzag line across this page. And it was freaking amazing. And then I went in and showed all my work colleagues this and explained it to them. And they've already been amazing helping me out. Now and then allowing me to go, well, I know this way makes sense for you, but it's never going to freaking work for me. Someone can do my work for me or we do it a way that's slightly harder for you, but it's going to be the way I can almost manage it. 
and they do all of that. Mm. Other times, I just had to suck it up and be a grown-up. There is an aspect of that mm-hmm. as well. But but you need people that can support you and help you around that. But when I was explaining this and explaining it all, this girl, Deanne, just turned around that I'd been working with. This woman, Deanne, just turned around and went, so we've just spent £300 to be told this. I just looked at her. I'm like, I love you. Because she got it. Right. She she got it without the test. She saw me as this person that, yeah, did things differently. And, yeah, we all kind of, again, yeah, maybe I'm dyslexic and all that, that stuff. But, yeah, that was incredible. And mm. your question about is there treatment for it? Nah. Like, there is no priest in this land that can freaking pry it out of me like you know there's 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 nothing that can be done what can be done is an understanding and coping mechanisms yeah and i presume it's similar with adhd so adhd they have obviously medication you can try uh i went through a bunch of it and um you're basically i mean let's be let's be fucking real right here right you just become a crackhead. That's really what it is. You're taking <laughs> fucking stimulants, methamphetamine. In some some countries, I think in America, in some states, they literally prescribe methamphetamine, like Insane. literally the exact name. And so, uh, I, I went on Ritalin, which was like the methylphenidate uh, based products, stimulant. Uh, very hard crashes. You'd get anxious. At least for me, people have different reactions, but. You'd get super ang- I get super anxious on the crashes, uh, depressed, uh, start questioning my whole my whole shit. So we go, okay, I've tried a bunch. For some reason, they tr- kept trying to push this methylphenidate stuff. So they tried a bunch of different types because I'm sure they subsidize and they get money for it. <laughs> That's a whole other thing with the pharmaceutical companies. But um, then I went on, on dexamphetamine, which is just a really clean speed, basically, amphetamine. Um, which was a lot better. Um, it's slightly more euphoric, which I think they tried not to go for it because it's, it has a higher uh, abuse potential. But for me, stimulants just aren't very likely to be abused just because, not to say that I've never used them in non-school environments. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I've obviously, you know, partied and like, oh, I'm sleepy. Let me take, you know, whatever. But um, it's just like, realistically speaking, um, yeah, it's just like as soon as I use it for more than three days in a row, I just start getting depressed. Like I start struggling to eat, struggling to sleep, which all leads to just depressive symptoms and it just spirals out of control. Um, and it makes me feel so bad that I'm really not going to like abuse them just because like I'm I have a prescription that I haven't even used for, I don't know, a year now um, just because it makes me feel like shit. So I can be productive for like three days and then have like a terrible time afterwards, which is. Not a good trade-off, no. you know what I mean? Um, recently, I've been pl- I've been playing around with, and <laughs> you know this, I've been playing around with um, this, uh, what's it called? Uh, Modafinil, which is a, uh, it was kind of a big fad of a few years ago on, on the internet about like smart drugs. Um, but really what it's used for is narcolepsy. So they use it to, it's like a non-stimulant stimulant that they basically give to people that have narcolepsy and keep them, keeps them awake. Yeah. And, a big part of my my issue with attention is that I have a sensation of getting sleepy. So there's a, almost like a physical, like I want to take a nap when I'm bored. 
Um, you know, so if I have homework, like I had homework to do, I'd literally just like start yawning, you know, like all the things that come with sleepiness. And so for some ADHD pe uh, people, uh, modafinil seems to be pretty useful um, for that aspect. It doesn't help with motivation as much, but it does with that. Um, and I've been playing around with it. Um, it's not good to mix with caffeine, which I made that mistake before one of our rehearsals <laughs> and I crashed so hard. No comment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what happens at something magic? It stays at something magic, let's put it that way. <laughs> but but uh, when I haven't mixed it with caffeine, it was mm -hmm. actually quite useful and it doesn't have the crazy, you know, like I can still eat on it more or less. Uh, it doesn't have the crazy, as far as I can tell, um, the, you know, but I only use it, I only use it like on days where I'm like, okay, I have very specific tasks to do. I need to do this mundane thing over and over and over and over. Like, let's say, let's say I have edited a bunch of content and I need to put subtitles on it. And like, I know that's going to be eight hours of putting subtitles to clips. Like that's no creativity. No, it's just boredom and doing this repetitive task. Then I'll take it. Yeah. But if there's a creative aspect, it doesn't help because I get locked into ideas instead of being able to zigzag and come back and, you know, use my usual creative process. So, um, yeah, I think like it can be useful for very mundane tasks, but for me, like any other thing is, is really not useful. Also stimulants because I train martial arts, like almost every day. Uh, if I take it in the morning, then it's, it's like as a residual stimulation that's in the evening where I go train and my cardio just completely, like, I feel like I'm, you know, 300 like 300 kgs like just barely walking up the steps you know because my know. heart rate is going overdrive i'm heart, high heart rate already and then i'm doing crazy uh cardio training so it's it's just it's just too many negatives to to really so i'm in the same boat i've been just trying to figure out coping mechanisms yeah. and like on days where i feel the obsessive impulse i just use that shit to the full extent even if it means like negating sleep or other things because i know i can't you know i can't control it so if it's if it's aligned with what I need to do, fucking jump all aboard. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I say, I, I like if anyone knows or or thinks different, like yeah, just flick us comments. But yeah, there's not a medication for dyslexia. There's not like a physical treatment as such, but it is those coping strategies. But another thing I've looked into is So you have your thing, dyslexia, but then there seems to be these other things around it. And you see a lot of people wear tinted glasses or use tinted screens. And it's all to do with an eye condition that isn't dyslexia, but a lot of dyslexics have it or uh, a version of it. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And, um, for me, when I read a line of text, the line underneath starts to dance mm -hmm. and the colours and the colours separate. So the black becomes all these different colours. And that's really freaking annoying. And that so when Sounds I Sounds like a like a like a light acid trip yeah, all the time. Yeah, but without <laughs> the acid. But when I read a book, when I'm buying a book, I will open it and look at it, and the first thing I look at is the font that is used, the ink that is used and the paper that it's on. That tells me if I can read it or not, mm. and um, and that, but yeah. So there's there's all that kind of other stuff that goes with it, and one of the other things is is 
it seems as if dyslexics, people with dyslexia, do have this thing where they get bored. But then, because we're a bit addicted to stuff and we get obsessed with stuff, we want to keep going. But when Saint give us a peak, we want that peak. But we're bored. And so you want now we need more mm. to get the same peak. So I would not really want to be on any form of medication mm. because in my past I've experimented with all sorts of substances. And yeah, it's I'll have one of those, please. I'll have two of those, please. I'm bored of this now, so next week I'll try two of those and I'll have three of those. Oh, I'm now really bored, so I'll have one from what I had last week, two from what I had the week before, and a bottle of scotch, please. <laughs> and, yeah, it, yeah, it was messy. And then, like, I don't mind admitting this, I'm, I had an issue with alcohol. Mm. It was about... Yeah, seeing how much I could drink. Mm-hmm. And, and like, you know, where in the world you are, you know. Yeah. But you get, <laughs> D- depends they, how you get things. So in America, I'd have been seen as a screaming alcoholic. In the UK, I was seen as a one-man party, <laughs> you know. But then I started to not find myself funny, and that's when I stopped. Mm. And, I, like, how was that process? Did you go like just by yourself or did you have to go into like AA or? Ah, it was like, so, so experimenting with other substances, leaving alcohol out of this for a bit, that just wore off and become aware that it wasn't necessarily a good idea. Um, There's a few things happening around us that was a bit like, oh, okay like people hitting the wall, people dying, and some crazy shit was happening. And I can remember sitting with a group of mates and we literally were like, we can't keep doing this. Mm. And we left that table and some of us ain't seen each other since. I've been in touch with a few people, but there was this space of, no, we needed to walk away. And, wow. and that And that was years ago. That's and a that, crazy. That's a crazy, like self-aware group of people, man. Yeah, that's it, not. That's not your average. I mean, again, you're not average. Yeah, but like, because I mean, you know, I I come from a. You could say a long line of alcoholics, <laughs> um, you know, and I think ADHD same thing. Very, very ad- addict behavior um, driven, and and obviously, if you're always looking for fun. Um, like my my grandparents on my well my my granddad on my dad's side was you know since the age of fourteen just like a nonstop every day all day sort of guy you know I mean my dad has stories of when he was fourteen getting uh, getting a you know someone knocking on his door like your dad's passed out by the train tracks go and you know go and drag him you know and he would have to go and lift yeah. him up and drag him home you know and just like throw him under the tree it's like sleep there for a while you know. So, and he, he, from that experience, he, you know, I mean, I, th- I think he had like, you know, drank a little bit when he was like 19 or whatever, but uh, from that experience, he's, he doesn't drink at all, you know, and he's very, very against any sort of substance use because he's seen how much that can fuck someone up. 
Um, you know, for me, I guess because I didn't have that experience, I didn't, I, I think like if you grow up with someone like that, you either become like them or you get pushed on the complete other side of the spectrum. Yeah. I don't think there's a way to be, you know what I mean? So I understand that, that, that like that aspect, but I, I for me, I obviously grew up with no substance use. My parents don't, don't drink at all. Uh, partly because of religious reasons, partly because of that. And um, so for me, it was almost like the the examples I had were from like people, friends and other like adults in my life here, which w- weren't necessarily like bad examples. You know what I mean? Like it was quite a r- okay use, I would say. And like growing up, we, we experimented with a bunch of different stuff, you know, from... Uh, psychedelics to you know marijuana to alcohol blah blah blah. um but i've always managed to keep it you know like i mean the psychedelics you don't i've i find that you know you do a strong session and you don't want to do it again for three months because jesus christ that was a you know what i mean like you you brings up some darkness and bring you got to deal with it you know so for me i know people get addicted to anything but for me like the psychedelics were never necessarily a addictive potential um, the alcohol makes me tr- terrible at, at martial arts. So, you know, I, I'll drink, I'll have like, you know, a drink here and there or a couple of drinks here and there. But if I, if I have three drinks on a Friday, my cardio sucks on a Monday. Like it's that, it has that much effect. Yeah. I can feel it. I, I, if I, if I'm competition ready and I can go 10 rounds by the seventh round, if I've been drink, if I drank three drinks on Friday by the seventh round, I feel like shit. Because yeah. if you push, if you redline your body, then you start to notice all these little things. But if you never do it, if you're just like, you know, you don't work out, you don't like, you're, you're not going to feel the difference because you don't push it to the limit to know where the yeah. limit is, you know? So because I do this a lot, I, I'm very, I just don't like to drink because I don't like to get fucked up the next Monday. <laughs> well, you've already, you've already give your body something hard to process the alcohol, your your body struggles yep. to process alcohol and you're poisoning your body. Mm. However much you drink, alcohol just does that. And then it affects a whole heap of shit. And then, yeah, you're working your body hard physically. One thing I will say, like you kind of said about that, like if you're not redlining your body, you won't know the issue. How I gave up drinking was mainly to do with me being aware that there was something up and what I was doing wasn't cool. But what really helped me was a change of circumstances. So the the friendship, the relationships and the opportunities I had at my nine years of working at the Science Museum was fantastic. And because of that and because of other things, my social life was quite dangerous. And like freaking awesome fun. But when I left, all those habits was no longer there. I weren't leaving work. I wasn't doing this. And me and my wife, we left. We went to Spain. We walked across Spain on the Camino de Santiago, 795 kilometers across Spain. Jesus. We volunteered in India. How long did that take? Um, Weirdly enough... 40 days and 40 nights. So if you're religious, that means something <laughs> to you. It was a complete sort of... 
weird thing. Did you eat that, locusts and shit? Or? <laughs> no, we was we was eating freaking, oh, we was eating the beautiful Spanish food of, of that area and it were well, those areas. And, yeah, it was incredible. But, like, my habits changed. I was still drinking on that thing. Like, red wine was a plenty. Like, there's even a freaking red wine fountain that you can fill up on and oh, shit like that. I think I've seen this, actually. Yeah, yeah, Recently, it was, it was a viral video I saw. Yeah, crazy shit. Like, it's just awesome. And it's good. But then when we got, we ended up in New Zealand. My wife's a Kiwi, so we ended up back in New Zealand, staying with her mum at Christmas t- 2010. She's a Methodist, and because of her history of alcoholics around her and around the family and in the family, there was, like, you know, alcohol's okay, but it's not. And that, so habits just changed. I wasn't around it in the same way. We was trying to live on as little money for as long as possible. So, you know, alcohol's expensive. So I cut it, but the bit about redlining your body I helped out at an event. I helped set up. I did some serving of drinks, did some walk around magic and stuff. And at the end, the guy said, look, take this. And he gave me a bottle of wine. I'm like, sweet, bottle of red wine. Awesome. I went home and drunk it. And I drank the whole bottle because that's what you do. You don't leave half a bottle lonely in your front room before you go to bed. That's just wrong. I woke up the next morning with freaking this feeling inside of me, this heartburn feeling, mm. and it was horrible. And then I remembered I used to feel like that a lot. And I used to sit on the bus on the way to work a lot, feeling like that. And I was like, oh, shit. Nah. Mm. Nah. And that was a real change. And, like, I've not... I've not drunk alcohol in any form or any way in 10, 12 years now. Wow. So, yeah. So, like, it's quite, yeah, 10, 12 years, I haven't touched a drop. And, like, you know, if I go to a church and they're doing communion and it's alcohol, I'd miss it. Mm-hmm. If it's alcohol or grape juice, I'd make sure I pick the grape juice mm. and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean... To, to cut back to what, you know, the, the, the whole list of substances and whatever, not to paint my, I don't want to paint myself as a fucking, you know, self-controlled, you know, I got the, you know, I can try anything and it's all, I'm, that's not what I'm saying because the marijuana on the other hand, so the, the stimulants make me feel like shit, don't want them. The alcohol makes me feel like shit, I'll have it occasionally, I'll have a tiny bit, you know, I don't, I don't push past two drinks unless it's like my birthday, you know, uh, or, or like, you know, the, for example, Ivan's podcast, he left for the UK. So we got a bit fucked up, you know, yeah. it is what it is. But like, generally speaking, like I'm going to train, like I don't, I don't have time for the, for the, for feeling like shit. And the problem is when you're, when you're training, people are trying to choke you. People are trying to kill, like, you know, kill you in a way. Yeah. Right. And I don't like that. Uh-huh. <laughs> I prefer like the 120 kg guy not to fucking choke me, you know? So mm-hmm. if I can help it, I will, you know? <laughs> so anyway, but, uh, um, the marijuana doesn't affect me in any negative way in those senses, right? And uh, so it's very easy to just to just kind of slippery slope. Just oh, you know, have one today, have one tomorrow. No no effect on the cardio. I don't really feel like shit. Yeah, it's a bit harder to wake up in the morning, but yeah, you know, it is what it is. 
And before I know it, you know, I'm like on a streak. I'm having it every night and I'm starting, my mood's starting to change. I start to feel like these fluctuations. And like, really what I realized is like, I, because there's a lot of things that are difficult about living with ADHD, right? That you need a coping mechanism because there's fucking things that are hard, right? Like it's not, so I, I had a tendency and I, I noticed this in myself. I have a tendency to, to use that, that substance in particular to escape, mm. right? Because it's so much easier not to deal with this shit. And the thing that I actually recently read about, uh, well, it was semi-recently, was that they've, they've found that like marijuana improves focus. You can actually boost your focus, but it reduces memory. Now, I've had a shit memory since as long as I can remember, right? I mean, I, I remember in school when we did, we had like a, a grid with, with times tables and they would jumble up the, the the numbers on the on the X's, and you'd have to fill out the, the grid as fast as possible, and there would be a competition. I'd be with I'll be always last because I just couldn't memorize and and rem and like reproduce memory stuff. I, I I've always sucked at it. It's just a thing. It takes me like months to remember a new phone number. It just is what it is. So I'm like I don't really value memory anyway. <laughs> you know what I mean? I've learned to deal without it. So, um, but attention, focus. Fuck, I need that shit. Yeah. And so there's a double whammy where it helps me focus. I can I can sit down and do three thousand reps of this new of a, of a fucking second deal, no problem. I don't even have you know what I mean. Whereas if I'm sober, it's like I start getting distracted. I want to do this. I want to do that. And so there's a self medicating aspect, and then there's, there's and that's fine. I, I actually don't mind that. It's the it's the escape. As soon as I I have a problem that I don't want to deal with, and I get high, now I have a problem with that. Like now it's now I don't like that. You know, and like anyone that says marijuana isn't addictive, I know people that don't get addicted by it. I know people that are everyday smokers, they just stop and they're like barely get any withdrawal. Yeah. I get, I get cold sweats. I get, it, it's a problem. Oh, and yeah. so, and so, you know, I've basically, I don't know how long it's been, but like a few months now, I just like, I haven't touched, like I have touched it, but I, I haven't bought any. Like if someone has some, I'm not going to say like, no, it's not like a thing that I'm like abstinent, but I also just I'm very, very careful like not to try to use it to escape because then it leads to that path of like only, you know, your dopamine receptors get so fucking pushed down because you're escaping all the things you don't want to do. You're only doing fun stuff. And then it just becomes your motivation starts to crash. And it's all a matter of misuse. But because I have this tendency, I'm going to misuse it, you know? Yeah. And so like, I, I totally understand what you mean. And it's it's funny how different substances will you know, like I can, I have no problem with like, you know, I know someone would, if they take a stimulant, they're hooked, you know, whereas I, I, I could not see myself get hooked. It's so shit. Like, you know, um, so yeah, it's very interesting. I, I actually recently read a, um, a book by Gabor Mate, which is a Hungarian guy, um, Hungarian PhD, I think psychiatrist. And he deals with like junkies, like heroin addicts and stuff. And he, it's called Hungry Ghosts. Very interesting book. And it gave me like, you know, it's, it's a little bit on the extreme side. I'm not like an addict on that level, but it gave me a lot of, uh, of insight into that, you know, and into my own yeah. use. And it's like, yeah, what am I running away from? You know, why am I, why do I feel the need that I have to, I can't face whatever it is? You know, yeah. why do I feel the need to hide behind this, this old, you know, this haze really, you know? But I, I think that I think, and science, backs this up and there's research addiction and being addicted to something comes in many forms so a substance the way 
interacts with our body and what it does and the feeling it gives makes that substance addictive. So smoking, I used to smoke cigarettes, normal cigarettes, and yeah, you're putting something into your body. But the hard thing about smoking is if you take too much nicotine in one go, you're going to freaking hate it. Yeah. But if you don't get enough, you're not going to enjoy it. So you've got to keep that level constantly topped up. And that's why nicotine is a very small dose, but you take lots of them. But you know what's weird, though? What's and, and, you, and you smoke. So, you, so that's the addiction. But, yes, there are substances that are addictive and not addictive. And apparently cannabis fits into that. But do you know what else is coming in your cannabis? That's mm. a whole nother conversation. And everyone knows their dealer and everyone knows that their dealer's straight and it's all good. So, you know, we'll worry about that another day. But you can get addicted to anything. Yeah. You you know, if you have to do something, if you have to have something, if you have to have bread with your soup, like, you know, that in its own way becomes a form of addiction because you have to have it. It it makes that complete. And I, f- I feel, again, and science supports is you can, anything can have that addiction. And people, all these things that say this is addictive, that ain't addictive, this behaviour is this, this behaviour is that. A, science hasn't got all the answers. It's only one way of understanding the world around us. And all that testing is done on, let's say, these people that ain't neurodiverse, that are neurotypical. So now there's all these other Mm. monkeys like us dancing around. The outliers, how do you test for those? Yeah, that It's like, well, actually... What isn't addictive for them might be different for me. Yeah. You know, and like I said, like I know something really excites me and then it becomes boring very quickly. Mm. Yeah, I feel that. Now, I wonder, I wonder because, you know, like when I talked about these obsessions with my psychiatrist, he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's just comorbidities with autism and this is a whole spectrum there. And yeah, it's easy, easy. We just sweep down to the rug. But I wonder... You know, these, these addictive tendencies, which are clearly rampant in the ADHD community, I wonder if, if that is just the obsessions too. I mean, it's just behavioral addictions, right? Like, I will get hooked on a game, on a video game, and I'll play it for fucking 16 hour days for three weeks straight. And just, you know, like during the pandemic, I mean, I barely talked to Amy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I was just playing this fucking, I was playing this stupid ass 2D game. That like you play for three hours at a time and it's with like a hundred other people on a server, but like it's so stupid to get into. You have to mem- muscle memory memorize the key bindings to even get into the game. Like you don't, you can't even play if you haven't played for about a week to try to like remember the move, like the the sequences of keystrokes <laughs> that are required for picking up a, a carton of milk. Like it's just that level of like autistic. Let's be yeah. honest. So so. If I'm going to, you know, spend, you know, basically just ignore all my other 
commitments and all my other things to do this thing. How is that different from an addiction? It's just a behavioral yeah. addiction, right? Absolutely. So I wonder, I wonder if that's what obsessions are. It's just behavioral, like we're just substituting what would be the, the marijuana or would be the this or that yeah. for this really fucking stupid game that I wasted however many hours on, you know what I mean? Yeah, I yeah, and I think for me, and I don't know if this is a dyslexia, a another form of obsession and stuff, but I really get drawn into stuff and I like to collect the paraphernalia around it. Mm -hmm. So people that smoke cigarettes, yeah. Board games, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> People that people that smoke cigarettes, just normal cigarettes, most people will probably have in their pocket a packet of cigarettes and a lighter. I would have a cigarette case that I would put my cigarettes in from the packet. That case would fold up and close and I would have a very nice Zippo lighter with it as well and I had two free sets of flows I also liked rolling cigarettes the ritual so, the ritual is a big one so I had special tins for the tobacco I like to have different flavors and types of tobacco and I had things to hold the Rizzlers, the cigarette papers. I used to like hand rolling, but I also had rolling machines. I had a little travel ashtray. So I collected all this paraphernalia just for smoking cigarettes. Mm -hmm. And other substances come with their own paraphernalia. And I love to collect these things. I, I studied fine art painting. I love to collect the paraphernalia that went with that. I've recently, 2019-ish, got into woodworking. And, yeah, I enjoy collecting the things for it. But like different I say, tools are different. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But like I say, like, all you need to smoke is a box of cigarettes and a lighter. But yeah, I've, I had more. I mm. had things. And I like pretty things as well. I like, I like things that look nice. And, and I also crave order. Because I don't have any order. So I need little boxes to because that's what's gonna organise you. Put shit in boxes. Yes, we're now oh. organised. Go to typo. Get yourself a box. I really don't want to do this. I'm I'm outing myself on this <laughs> podcast right now. You know what? Let's fucking do this. Oh God. <laughs> I'm so excited. Okay. So addiction check. All right. Yeah. Spend hours making this fucking case to put everything in. <gasps> check. All right. Oh. There you go. I spent like, I think three days on this. Oh, I just fucking, you know, it is what it is. But yeah, basically there's a, there's a thing where everything fits exactly where it needs to go. Cards are here. Everything is there, you know, spent it, spent time gluing everything together. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is, this is a thing of beauty. Um, <laughs> Six millimeter foam board is a yeah. beautiful thing. Um, oh, uh, I didn't. I didn't expect yeah. this podcast to be me nerding out on my 
previous and current addictions, but that's, I, there it is. I just want to celebrate something as well. Is um, I love the ability to make the mm. ability to build stuff, and we all have it. Everyone has it. It if you don't have it, you've missed something in the realms of evolution. So you do have it. Mm-hmm. We have been fascinated with making since the beginning of time. And it's it's something that makes our species different. And I'm wearing a Ponamu toki around my neck, which shows us here in New Zealand, 900 plus-ish years ago, we had a group of people that understood the world around them to find New Zealand. And they shaped and created materials to help them shape and create materials. And it's one of the many reasons I wear this around my neck. But all around the world, all across Europe, like we're from Europe and stuff, all across Europe, there's these examples of civilizations making stuff. And when people make stuff, it really makes me excited. You might have noticed I've just had a bit of a hit and I'm obsessed. I'm not letting <laughs> this go. I'm looking at it. I'm touching it. Well, the table's also been made. And this yeah, has been made. Everything's yeah, been made. Yeah. We we're out here. It's like, yeah, no, it's good. And it's, yeah. And like, you know, I just totally encourage people making stuff. And this stuff, this foam board, like you can cut it with a freaking standing knife or knife, can't you? Yeah. And it's easy to cut. You just cut it. It cuts clean. It cuts straight. PVA glue. Yep. And you can make shit. And it's incredible. And yeah, freaking good. I I think this is beautiful. Like yeah, <laughs> yeah. Man. I mean, it's funny because you spend so much time on something that only really you give a shit about. You know yeah. what I mean? Because like it, this, the only reason I did this is this is actually so. Okay, fucking hell. All right, I can't believe we're going here. So, <laughs> so there's this is a game called Spirit Island. It's a really really fun game uh really really it's like it's like chess meets a dueling card game but yeah. you're all playing this together against the game you're all spirits of this island trying to fight against the colonials that are trying they to come up on the 12 hour feed as we play this <laughs> <laughs> we don't have time but what i'm trying to say with this is that this was there's a base game and then i bought expansions for it paraphernalia as you yeah. say i bought so there's about three expansions and the game here so there's like four boxes that it come like that I had. So I was like, I need to make these into one box. And so this mm-hmm. was the result. Um, and it just makes it so much easier to set up. <laughs> I love it. I think it's awesome. But to anyone that doesn't know that, and they don't realize that it, it cut down my setup time by like half an hour. They're like, who gives a shit, you know? Yeah. But to me, that's like, fuck man, half an hour when my friends are here and I'm setting up a game, that's a, that's a lot, you know? So. I, I managed to collect a pile of tools i had the i had the luxury of being able to have these tools and they all existed in free plastic boxes and whenever i needed a tool i would need to empty the free plastic boxes to find the two tools that i needed there was no order mm. And now there's three boxes of tools poured across my garage floor. <laughs> I've got nowhere to work. So I'm now on the dustbin outside <laughs> trying to use this tool, you know, and it's like, it's stupid. And when I started to take woodworking 
seriously, whatever that means. I'm like, do I need one of those tall walls, all the tools on the mm. walls like you see on things? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. Went down a rabbit hole, Adam Savage, loads of other people, all that kind of stuff. Really went down a rabbit hole. Everyone's doing all these different tall wall things. And, and it kept, and I'm like, oh, I don't know. So what I did is I put this piece of wood. I had an idea of where my tall wall would go on an end of a shelf. I laid this piece of wood out on my workmate bench. It was the only bench I had at the time. And I laid out the tools that I used regularly. I just laid them out to see how they would fit. And I'm like, I'm going to leave them there and come back and look at this and just see. I can't remember if it was I realised Saint needed doing in the house or there was a loose saucepan lid or whatever. Or someone asked me for something. I walked in. I picked up one tool up. I used it and I put it back down exactly where it was mm. on that board. And this is just a flat board like a table with tools laid out in order, just loose. And it's like, oh. That tool wall's up. It's got tools on it. Of course, with me, it's a never-finished project and it would always need fine-tuning and things will change and things do move around. But the access to tools and the access to that and putting it up is... is life changing. But so that, yeah, that almost has to it. be has to be a project though, right? Yeah. Because otherwise, like if I just go, oh yeah, here's the wall, right? I take a tool, I use it. Something else comes up, I head out, fucking tools in my hand, or I just drop it somewhere on the way to do whatever the fuck I'm doing. All of a sudden, one tool's missing. Now the second tool I'm using it goes, you know. So if I don't, if I don't have, if I don't have some sort of investment, pride, obsession, yeah. something into that tool wall. I'm yeah. not going to fucking use it, you know? Like, if I didn't care about this box, mm. I wouldn't put the pieces back. I'll just throw them back in the box, but we'll deal with it later because that's what I you do with everything else. Yeah. So I almost find that to, for that to work for me, I need to be an, have to have an obsessive project around organizing that thing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, otherwise absolutely. it doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I took that as a given. Yeah. Like if someone <laughs> else did it for me, I would, it would never work. Oh, no, and I, I think... I think things like what you showed us there and like this tall wall, they are very personal things. And now and then you're prescribed by the game. Like you need this many holes for this many different things, this many containers, and they need to be this big or that big. So you're prescribed that. But someone else doing the same will do it differently yep. and they will do it for them. And like the things that you need at reach or the things you need, and you talk about walking off with tools. A lot of my stuff is done at my bench. I don't right, go yeah, and yeah, work somewhere sense. else. So, so that's one less thing to worry about. But I have done maker cafes and I take tools out. But again... You get obsessed with tool rolls and you get obsessed with toolboxes and you make toolboxes and you make things to take the things so the things are on the things and all that kind of stuff. But then what's nice is when you come back, there's this 
empty wall and you just sit there doing this going mm-hmm. and then you look at it and it's full you know you've got everything you know where it all is and that that for me again sitting here as a 47 year old guy is the most freaking organized I've ever been in my bloody life and it's been nearly three years I've had that tool and 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 it's so funny. And I'm just like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm finally here. Like, you know how people go, oh, yes, you know, the young people have to listen to the old people. Like, bullshit. I know a nine-year-old kid that comes home from school, gets to the door, takes his shoes off, puts it neatly there, walks to where he unpacks his bag and hangs his bag up, takes out the lunchbox, puts it in the kitchen, gets out his homework folder, puts that where he does his homework, zips the bag up, puts it on a hook. I'll tell you what for a fact. <laughs> that kid's name is not Eduard Toda. That's for <laughs> fucking sure. No, it's not. And it's not Alan Warman either. Yeah. And I look at him. I'm like, man, my shoes... Each shoe can be in a different room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My yeah. keys can be in the fridge, in the garage, or still in my car door. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know, or anywhere in between. You know, and yeah. yeah, like you know, so so like yeah, I look at I look at people like my my little nine year old friend, and it's like, yeah, so um, you're now looking at me for for the way. <laughs> You got it already. Yeah. yeah you're off. Hey, yeah. <laughs> See you layers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm the same with like my, my you know, neuro, or again, back lack of a better term, neurotypical friends, where they're just effortlessly, effortlessly doing shit where it, for me, it's like, it takes me, a, you know, all my energy, all my mental obsession, a fucking a force that could literally overthrow a, a government. To, to to organize something, you know what I mean? Like, it's crazy. But, cool. Um, you know, we just have timestamps just cool. f- just for if we need to go to the toilet or anything like that. But, mm-hmm. uh, sweet. Change of pace. Yeah. Let me show you some shit I've been working on that isn't for something magic because why would I work for something that the deadline is only a day away. We've got 29 <laughs> days. It's good. Well, we have like, you know, 24 hours till the next to the meeting. So oh, yeah. I still have at least, yeah. at least 20 hours to procrastinate. Yeah. <laughs> All if right. My, if my internet falls out when it's my go, I apologize. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, uh, take one out. Um, and I'll tell you a story. Mm-hmm. All right. So oh, I love a story. So when I, and this is true, um, me and a friend. So when, when we, I started magic when I was, you can take a look at it, maybe show the camera. Um, I, I started magic when I was, um, yeah, it should be in the shot. Um, I started magic when I was 12, right? Um, and it was me and two other, two other dudes that kind of around the same time, uh, they're not magicians anymore, but you know, Ivan was one of them and there was another guy called Kyle. And so we used to just, you know, do magic together, compete against each other, all that stuff. But I remember I went to a lecture, I think maybe a couple years later than that. Uh, and I think it was George Iglesias. Now, I, I hope that's his name because there is an Iglesias comedian that I might be confusing him with. But 
I think George Iglesias is the name that I'm, and I'm sticking by it. Um, and uh, he he had a bunch of stuff that he was doing, and we were sitting in the front row, right at this at this at this uh, at this. Uh, what's it called? Not convention. Lecture. 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 Yeah. <laughs> at this lecture, right? And you know we're bored as fuck because he's like trying to sell some popcorn trick that he was doing for stage or something and we're like yeah i'm not gonna buy this shit so we're just sitting there you know just like like doing this sort of stuff just bored just you know mm -hmm. i don't think we were springing that's a bit too rude because it's the sound but i think we were definitely doing you know just like some cardistry stuff just mixing stuff up um and uh he he's like stops he, at some point right he stops his and i'll take a car i'll take the car now um so yeah, if you see it again, yeah. you'll, you'll you'll know it. Um, at some point, he like stops his um his lecture, and he goes, "Oh, you boys, check this out, right?" And he does this. Now, I'm gonna do it, and it's gonna be for camera as well. So, but I'll explain in a sec. So he goes like this, and catches the card. Now, that was the card, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now he does the way he did it though is he he. He shot the card out of the pack. Yeah. It went at a 45 degree angle. There was a high, kind of a high ceiling. So I'd say like two meters plus, right? So 45 degree angle, two meters. And then it like falls back down at that 45 sort of boomerang effect. And he catches it in the deck. So he goes, right? And it just lands inside the deck. And we just go, what the fuck was that, right? The whole crowd, like the whole, like, you know, how at lectures, especially in New Zealand, there's a bunch of old guys that are almost falling asleep pretty much every lecture. And they, everyone wakes up and go, oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> what happened, you know? <laughs> and we just go, oh my God, we got fucking owned. Yeah. Like, like badly, you know? Um, and so everyone goes, hey, there's a huge commotion. Then he slows it down and goes back to his flogging as whatever material he's trying to sell. And after that lecture, I, I went up to him and I was like, teach me how the hell you did that. Teach me how the hell you did that, right? So ever since that time, I've been fascinated with trying to shoot cards out of the deck, like the sleight of hand aspect of it, right? Um, I still can't do the 45 degree, two meters, boom, in front of a live audience every single time. Like he must have, I don't know, that guy was insane with that move. Um, but I've just loved the, this this concept. So... I'm just going to show you the few different ways that I've I've been doing it uh, over the years, right? So, and I have a new way that I'm working on that might fail. So we'll see. But the this is a, so that was that was kind of a two-handed one way riffles through and shoots it. And then there's yeah. the the classic one-handed cut to to shooting it out, right? Nice. Um, but since we got this table, I've been trying to do use a table stuff as well, right? So, um. With the, with the table, there's the two-handed version, which is sort of something like that. And that should be the three. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah. You can show that. Cool. And I've been working on this one. And it's it's a move by, uh, I don't know his first name anymore, but his last name is Biz Bizo, which is a Romanian guy. Um, and the move is essentially like a one-handed pop-out move, right? It looks like something like this. Let's see if it works. There we go. And if I turn that over, that should be the card. And awesome. now just to make sure for the camera, so if, if the same card, if the, you know, if all the cards were yeah. three spades, that would be easy. So there we go. There we go, my friend. And I'm glad that worked first take because uh, it doesn't always work that way. There we go. <laughs> Isn't it beautiful? And like, I love 
I love the story behind it. I think, I think storytelling is again a skill we've had since the beginning of time. It's been so important that we've shared stories that we paint them on the side of rocks, like you know it. It's that it's that thing. But what I like about that story is that guy could have just ignored you and sold his shit. But then he had the balls to show you saying that A in a way shut you up and pointed you <laughs> out as dicks, but then also encouraged you as well. Yeah. Yeah. And and as much as yeah. If someone goes, here's a form, fill it in now. <sighs> no, you must do it now. I don't want to do that. You know, like I fall to bits and and I fall to bits on the inside. Like I don't like that. That's not good. And it's not a constructive thing to do around me. You're going to piss me off and I'm not going to be interested and I'm going to misbehave and I'm going to be disruptive. But I do like a challenge. Mm. I do like this kind of... Like, I can be quite quite confrontational. Now, I hesitated because what confrontational means to a lot of people and the people around me know that I'm not confrontational in an aggressive, rude way, but I'm direct and I don't have an issue with being out there and I don't have an issue with squaring up to things and being like, rah. But yeah, it's I, I like the directness of it, and I like this kind of cockiness behind it as well. But then, it woke up a room. Yeah, yeah. And it was. And how long ago was this for you? Oh man, this was eleven years ago. Eleven years ago. So like you was, I was gonna say you was younger, but yes, of course <laughs> you were. But like you, you was quite young at yeah. that time, and you're still talking about it. And you've created a piece about it. Honestly, I like that wasn't incredible. even. A, I didn't. I mean, it wasn't really a like. These are just move a yeah. gen a genuine conversation or like these are moves I've been practicing. And there's this new one that's kind of cool. So let me show it to you. Like, mm-hmm. it wasn't a constructed script written. Let me Thanks. put this for let me put this together for a show sort of thing. It was just like something cool that I want to show you. you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. But it was. It was more than that, mm. and 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 that's cool. And again, through this experience of something magic, which is incredible, and like everyone that's been involved in something magic, like I'm just totally, um, thankful for. Like you know, everyone that's been involved in it. But I know through that journey. One thing you've said is like now and then that kind of connection and flow of routines for something magic is very different to your close up stuff, which you're quite comfortable with. And that, but seeing you talk like that with that, and this is just some random moves and that kind of story, like, yeah, there's. There's something there. Mm. And like, you know, I'm not saying there's necessarily something there in that routine, but there's something there in that process. Mm. And like, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, honestly, honestly, the whole idea of this, again, I I, I call it a podcast. People will know what that means. Yeah. But it's really a show. You got to see it 
you know, if you're listening to it, you're still not excluded. There's a lot of audio content, but like really realistically, after you finished your shift at the factory, you're going to go and watch the highlights because I want to see those tricks. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, even though like basically I set this up to for my ideal performing environment, this is how I like, I love performing. Like I go to a gig and I like, I hate like, okay, so the most draining part of doing close up for me is breaking the ice. You got to go into a situation. You got to stop a group of people. You know, they're, the, they're usually couples, right? Because yeah. most, you know, if, if they're not, it's a little bit, sometimes even harder because, you know, now you have like three single girls that think you're going to hit on them. It's like, no, 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 no. I'm, I work here. You know, you got to do that whole thing. Um, <laughs> well. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> Well, you know, I don't have that icebreaker, man. You're, you're <laughs> you rock up to a table, you just do that. You just oh you, no, no, no. You stand in the corner and do that. And and people come just to come you. to you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah see, or they or they move further away. Yeah, my my whole thing is is also part of the ch like the, that confrontational challenge aspect that you were talking about. Yeah, where it's like, I I want to see if I can just just become this group now. Like I'm I like part of it is I like the challenge of being like I'm gonna walk in interrupt everyone like a fucking dickhead and just take this over and everyone's going to like it. Like there's a sort of power structure, power play there that mm. I sort of enjoy too. I'm not going to lie, oh, but yeah. it's also the most draining part of it because it's like, it's like, you know, you, you got to win them over. You got to prove you're cool. You got to do all this extra work. And then once you've done that, now you can do some magic. But my favorite part is as soon as you've done the magic, that's broken the ice past that superficial layer that I was talking about where my dad does really well at, you know, and I suck uh -huh. at. It's like, I don't have to talk about the weather now because we're so deep now. Like we can start talking about psychology. We can start talking about the time they, some hustler took their money. We can start talking about how he got cheated on and he's just at the club because blah, blah, blah. You know, we can go deep instantly. And like, that's my favorite part of doing magic. My favorite part, it's like the conversations between the magic. And the magic mm. is a conduit for those like things to happen. Yeah. You know, like this whole thing we just did, like th that's exactly what I love about magic. Like that's my favorite aspect of like just seamlessly jumping between conversation to magic to conversation. Like I love that. So yeah. I set this up for exactly that. <laughs> I, I love, I love, I, I haven't done it for a while now, but, I loved street busking, doing stuff. Oh man, on the that's street. fucking scary. I still, I still get scared about that. Oh. I have never done it, but I'm fucking terrified. Um, 2008 was my first experience out on the street, and at the time, I'd been working at the science museum for a while. I'd been doing guided tours. I was doing science shows, and I was used to performing in front of people and performing in front of. Lots of different types of people, and I was, I was good at it. And yes, that is an arrogant thing to say. I was good at it, but the thing that, the thing that authorizes me in saying that is, I got paid to do that, and the people that hired me to do it believed I could do it. They put the time and effort in through training. I put the time and effort in through work, and it all paid off. And I was getting 
picked and asked to do the shows for companies that were sponsoring the museum, companies that were coming in, and other things, and groups. And uh, so I knew I was good, and I was comfortable at performing, standing up in front of people, bang, fine, yeah. Hit the streets, stop three people, all of a sudden, my stomach flipped. Yep. I really felt I needed a bathroom and the bathroom went close and I'm like, oh my God, these just stopped working and sweat poured down my back. Finished the show, blah, went home. My wife asked, how did it go? And I explained. And she said, you won't be doing that again. And I went, oh no, I will. There's a whole lot of procrastination and I needed the perfect thing for the perfect thing for the perfect thing because then it was going to be a smash, which is a fallacy we tell ourselves all the freaking, oh, if I just get this, if I just get that, if I just have that. The funny thing is we know while while we're doing it, we know we're bullshitting ourselves as well. Like, you know what I mean? Like we're not fooling even ourselves, but we're also just like, it's a rationalization yeah. that you know is good enough to avoid it. And then I had a few hits and a few misses with it, and there was a lot of experimentation with street busking. And then 2011, when I was in New Zealand, I started to hit the streets more and hit the streets regularly. And I just started off slowly. Because I was good at the diablos and juggling, I took just juggling out with me and just got used to being on the street and then started to introduce some magic. In 2019, I really felt I was getting somewhere with it. And then 2020, the world changed a bit. Um, And that, but the, yeah, like I, I did have that crash of nerves for street busking and I conquered it. And and I still struggle with going out on the street. My first time for a long time is always a AA work for it. But what I liked about it and what you talk about, like I've never done much close-up corporate work. I've just never really been in a place to do it. But what does appeal me to that is similar to the street. And what I love about the street is... You're disrupting. You're being very disruptive and you're disrupting the street. No one expects you to be there. No one's gone there to see a magic show. Mm. And all of a sudden, there's this disruption to that place and that place becomes a theatre. And it's when you see those people leave differently to when they came. And there's only one reason they're feeling different, and that's because of you. Yeah, that's for magic. Mm. I think we spoke about this briefly with something magic free. A woman brought three 11-year-old kids. When she arrived, she didn't quite know what she was coming to. I had to tone down my my swearing a lot more. And she was, and she was, she was, there was a, I think there was an anxiety at the not knowing. And also, like, you know, we keep something magic reasonably priced. But, like, it was an investment for her and she's got these 11-year-old kids and I think 
she they soon realised it wasn't your typical sort of magic show, mm. but it's, <clears throat> it's perfectly fine for eleven year old kids. Like no yeah. issue with that. But what was cool is she arrived anxious when she left. She was buzzing mm. and she had a good time and she enjoyed it. And my wife, Emily, heard the kid say, oh, that wasn't what we expected. Now, to me, that's only a good thing, whatever that means. But I'd be interested to find out if it's not what they expected, but was it still good? Mm-hmm. And is it something that they didn't expect, but they want more of? But we're never going to have that conversation. Yeah. But I mean, if 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 you if the vibe you got off her that she was buzzing, yeah, then that's a pretty easy indicator, right? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. So 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 yeah, something. And some, the kids were hyped. I, yeah, you know, something magic happened. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. you know. Yeah, no, that's that's that was a fun one, man. Um, yeah. I was scared shitless doing non-card magic. Mm-hmm. Part of it yeah. uh, terrified me. I, I told Ivan because I, I actually performed the Trop Cup to Ivan. Yeah. The dice cheating. And uh, I was telling him, like, you know, with cards, if I fuck up, I have 15 million variations and ways to get out of it and ways to, you know, if I lose a card, I can find it again. And, I, you know, I'm not worried either. Like, I can I can just jazz it up and take it in a different direction. And, you know, you won't even know that it's where it's supposed to go anyway. If I fuck up with with the dice... I just fucked up. Like there's yeah. nothing else to it. It's just, I, I fucked up. Same, same way with coins for me. Like I feel the same way. It's like my knowledge of those things is so limited that I only have one move. I only have one thing. I only, you know what I mean? So if I screw up, I'm, I'm just done. Like there's nothing else to it. And so that creates so much pressure in my head. You know, um, it's funny. Cause like I, I noticed this in a lot of things like in, in martial arts, if I, if I learn a new position, and there's in in, in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, it's very, it's very. Che- I know it's it's kind of a cheesy fucking what well, cliche to say, but it's like a very chess like game. It's very like much like I make a move, you make a move. I make a move, you make a move. I have to counter the move you make with something of mine, and then you have to think, okay, what's he gonna do three steps from now, and counter with something of yours. And so it's a very much like cerebral like. Um, you know, you can have an athlete that comes in and is really good, but if they don't know what they're doing, they're going to get smashed. And so um, if I learn a new position, but like I don't know it deeply enough to really do anything. So if one thing doesn't work and now they give me an, an, an option that I'm not ready for, I know, I know, I don't know how to deal with that. So all of a sudden it, you know, but if I'm playing my A game, if I do the thing that I, I'm really, really good at, I have branches on branches of every option. I know if he does this, if he grips me like this, I'm going to do that. If he grips me like this, I'm going to do the other thing. If he grips me this way, I'm going to do that. If he grips, And like I can just sit here and draw a flowchart of each specific thing to do at every single scenario in that position. You know, and it's the same thing with the, with the magic. It's like yeah. I know this medium with this card stuff so well that like, even if I like, even if it's a hard thing, even if I fuck up, I I'm not worried about it because I just know where to take it. But with the new stuff, it's terrifying, you know. And with the mentalism, it's like I'm. This, I feel the same thing. It's like I I don't know much about mentalism, so oh yeah. It, and it's that familiarity with 
the familiarity with the object, the familiarity with how it feels, and then the knowledge, mm. and the knowledge being there, and the muscle memory being there. And like, you know, I I see these guys, like I'm not a big card worker. My My card handling is direct, sloppy, and simple and stuff. I know enough to do what I need to do and I don't know much else. I'm aware of a lot of stuff. And again, there's always this, oh, one day I will sit down and I will do the Royal Road to Card Magic mm-hmm. and the course and the thing and the stuff. But that, nah. um, rubber bananas, yeah. bananas come up. <laughs> card College has been sitting there. Yeah, yeah, Card College. I, I even have two, two books open, two, two of the volumes open at specific tricks that yeah. I haven't touched that I've been meaning to for months. Yeah. So I feel you on that. Yeah. And and like, you know, you, you, you have this knowledge, you have this muscle memory, you're familiar with thing. And one thing I look at card handlers and card workers is one thing you notice is there's always the deck of cards in their hand. You know, when you guys come round, the decks of cards just come out and they're there and they're just... Sh- 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 sh. Yeah. When you meet people at conventions, there's pockets of people that, yeah, the cards just come out and, like, you know, they will put them away, have a drink, have something to eat, they come out. And that is what's needed. That is what is needed. But the issue is... As soon as your prop becomes something else, yep. you know, and I'm trying to think of example, even coins in some forms. If you're out in public playing with those things, <laughs> it can get a little odd. It can get a little weird. It can get a little unusual. And like, you know, like the bananas for crying out loud, like, you know, that banana trick is a wonderful thing. It's crazy. And that is about it. Again, could we workshop it and think of other things to do with those bananas? Yes, maybe. But the thing is, is standing around multiplying bananas, that's weird. But for some reason, the deck of cards is so inconspicuous and you can play it. And one thing I used to do with the rough card handling I would do is I would sit on a London Underground train and I would flip, I would find a card, like um, let's say the two of spades because it's visual, two of spades. And I would just sit there and I would just flick it up to the top. I would maybe hold it up so people could see. I wasn't doing it to people. And I'd put it in and I flick through and I find it at the top. And I control it to the top and I find it again. And I'd do other stuff and I find it and it appears. I cut here and it appears. Just with the moves that I know. And I would just be doing that as a practice. But soon as someone started watching... I would fan it out and just hold it. And I wouldn't look at them. I would never look at them. I would just spread it out and do that. And this is another cool thing. They knew instantly what to do. Yeah. We don't need to tell people, pick a card. We yeah. don't need to tell them to look at it. They show their friends. 
they put it back in and bang. But now it ain't about the smart dick on the train finding the card. It's about this moment that's just happened yeah. and the moment that's about to happen. That That's exactly like what I was saying, right? Like I, I really enjoyed the, you know, the magic as a conduit for that connection. You yeah. know what I mean? Because it's like, yeah, if you're just sitting there, you're on your phone, you would never interact with that person. Yeah. You know, I, I told the story of how I, when I was in Solomon Islands, I, I did this, you know, I was thinking how, what to do. And I, I did this trick where basically their card appears in a sealed pack of cigarettes inside one of the cigarettes, you know, like all rolled up. And uh, they, you know, they open the pack and they hand it to me and I try to light it and it's not lighting and I hold it up and it's, it's inside. And because uh, that's, I was like, what can I do that, that connects with them with something that they, you know, and they smoke tobacco all day, every day. That's all, nothing else to do. You're just on the island. You're fucking swimming around, catching fish, eating coconuts, smoking, smoking tobacco, you know? So, and, and the word just spread, you know, like from island to island, mm-hmm. like within a day, yeah. you know? And so like that impact, that thing of like something crazy just happened. And, and like, you know, the way it connects with, with people on a base level, like that to me is really fascinating. And I, like, I love it, you know? Um, now here's the thing, right? I've, I've been thinking about this and like people say that, um, slight, slight topic change, but that's just my brain being, being weird. Um, people say that like men tend to obsess about things and, and women tend to obsess about people, right? Like, like on a, like there's a reason why men predominate, uh, engineering women predominate psychology. Like that's sort of the, Yeah. the, 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 yeah. I find that I, I'm sort of in the in between <laughs> hermaphrodite of this <laughs> analogy uh, where I obsess about people as, as things like I think about the mechanisms of what drove people, you know what I mean? Like I, yeah. I almost take a, the way a child takes apart a toy to see how it works. You know, I don't I mean, I don't want to cut people open. That's not what I'm trying nah. to say. <laughs> not some serial killer, but, um, uh, but like, it's fascinating to me how people operate and why they operate and like almost like doubt, break this down, you know? And I, I, I told you this a while ago that when I first saw you, the first thing that struck, that struck out to me was, wow, this guy is like unique. He's out there, like, and owns it completely. You know, mm-hmm. like, you, as you said, you're not average in any way. Yeah. And it, like, it doesn't- <laughs> Scientifically you just, you, proven. You just stand out. Like, as soon as I saw you at the convention and I was like, Oh damn! And in a, in a way, it was like there was something intimidating about the way that you were so that you owned that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Not that you were an intimidating person, like you know, hard to approach. But I, I mean, at the time, I was quite insecure. You know, I, I was still working through a lot of issues, and I think you, I think we probably all do from high yeah. school to getting older and sort of settling into who we are. But I, that's what struck out to me instantly without even talking to you, without just seeing how you interact. And um, I remember asking you before the Something Magic show, like, how the fuck did that happen? How do you go from, from you know, being, feeling different, yeah. right? And how do you internalize that aspect of like, for me, it was just like, I must be broken, right? Yeah. And so I tried for the longest time to be like everyone else yeah. instead of just being like, no, fuck everyone else. 
yeah. they should try to be like me, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like, you know, there's, there's like this unapologetic way, which you carry yourself, this very like eccentric sort of like, I don't care. It, this is who I am and I'm just going to do what I do. Yeah. You know, how do you, how do you see, how do you see your, like, I guess from, from the upbringing that you've had, you know, maybe from an early age, I don't know how you, how back, how far back you want to go, but how do you see that like process? Cause for me that, that was like, I've only recently, I can say now I feel pretty comfortable with who I am, yeah. but it's only in the last couple years and maybe not even yeah. that, that long ago. You know what I mean? Oh, um, oh shit. Like, how long have we got? Um, <laughs> yeah, I like, you know, I like, okay. First of all, you mentioned about the sort of, divide between male female engineering and what was the other thing you said psychology psychology and stuff yeah um first of all through looking at stuff the binary of male and female is just bullshit it there is there is absolutely like I just don't find that divide of gender works and science proves it. And, you know, I struggled through part of my life where I didn't think I was mad enough. I had that too, yeah. And and because I didn't think I was mad enough, I questioned if I was gay, which is fucking stupid when I look at it. But, like, you know, all of that stuff just kind of went through that thing. And, and that also this men are from Venus, women are from Mars or whatever way around it is. That's just people that, again, I don't understand what's going on. So there's got to be another explanation for it because like, it can't be me. And, I, um, and then men are into engineering, girls are into pink. A, pink doesn't exist. It's a made up colour. And um, it's people are like, what? Did he say that? Yes, I did. There we go. And I've got a shock for goths as well about black. But anyway, moving on. Um, tangents, beautiful things. But society has a lot to do with that. Like, oh, yeah, women, women would always, always be attracted to the pink broom. Mm. Kids in the back arse off the middle of nowhere don't have don't have that broom. association they won't walk into a room pink. and see yeah. a pink broom and sweep it up yeah. it's society that's done that so that's a tangent but that is about knowing yourself and i think for a lot of people that are trying to find their self those stereotypes those binary male female don't help a lot of people mm-hmm. and that i for myself and what we spoke about, I will give the same answer is, yes, I am comfortable in my skin. Yes, I understand myself more and and I'm aware of who I am more. The fact that you are 20-something and I am 40-something, again, doesn't mean I'm old and wise. It just means... I'm further down this path dealing this shit. 
But then also there's nine-year-olds who can put their shoes by the door and remember their stuff. Like, you know, it's it's that, like, again, this age thing. And, uh, yeah, whatever. Um, I, I, of- I, I don't think, I think that it's, it's overblown in a lot of even cultures, I'd say, yeah. you know, like this whole respect. Of course, you should respect people, but doesn't oh, yeah. mean they're right. Nah. But I, I can see from my own perspective when I was fucking 18, you know what I mean? Like the amount of progress in my own understanding and my own emotional control and my own ability to, um, to read a situation, to read a, you know, to read social cues, yeah. to have sort of, uh, to, to be aware of how people perceive me, you know, all these sort of things that, that sort of inter interplay to create a sense of confidence, to create a sense of understanding of who I am in the world and this hierarchy that we call society and all the rest of it. Right. Um, is I mean I I've, I see a massive difference, so I, I don't I definitely don't think it should be underplayed either. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it's definitely a thing that like for me life sucked when I was younger. Uh-huh. You know what I yeah. mean? Like terribly, and now I can say like I enjoy this life. You know? Yeah. Um, and that's a huge difference to go from like I wasn't suicidal, but it's like eh, it might have been better if I wasn't born because then I wouldn't have to deal with this bullshit. Yeah. And then now it's like no nah, fuck this is mean. You know this is fucking amazing. I'm I'm loving it. You know. Even though there's hardships and there's things that you got to do that suck and et cetera, et cetera, but that all that's happened from then from then to now is age. Yeah. All that's happened is experience. All that yeah. happened is time. And that's exactly time ticking, it. slowly dying. Yeah. You know, all the rest of it. And and I think that because I got to because I got some explanation off. Yeah, well, I'm different. I I don't fit in this average shadow. But there's an explanation behind it, and it's perfectly fine. Like that gave me a lot of confidence. Mm. Um, you spoke a little bit in your kind of build up to it about what was my upbringing. My upbringing was very freaking supportive, and just like we wasn't we wasn't ass broke poor, but. There wasn't a lot of spare cash in our family, and things were pretty, things were pretty basic. And then, then things were freaking tight. And my mother, and my dad, like worked some real magic on making what resources they had go round. Like it, it was quite incredible what they achieved. And like you know, they only encouraged for madness. They only encouraged the fun they only encourage the creativity and stuff like that which i'm just phenomenally grateful for and and i you know i was always comfortable with being me in my house when i went to school it was a different story and i wasn't a mainstream kid i wasn't one of the cool kids on the block but i wasn't the kids that got bullied, but there was bullying and stuff that happened to me, but there was some kids that got it really hard ass, but there was a group of us misfits that stuck together. Mm. And because the popular kids kind of liked us, the bullies didn't target us because whoever we got out found the popular kids would get involved as well. So, but you know, we was, Outcast, and I can remember one day sitting down and looking at the popular kids. I don't know whether if this was right or not, 
but I worked out how I could become one of them. The clothes I would need, the things I would need to do. And it was, again, the 12, 13-year-old brain. It made sense, and I, I think it was... There was something there. I could have acted up and sat at the table with the adults. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It was that kind of stuff. But in the process of doing that, I don't want to do that. That's stupid. So, like, you know, again, this comfortableness with who I am. And and then when I got diagnosed with dyslexia and rada rada, and then, you know, there is nothing better then, you know, people go, I saw you at a convention. You intimidated me, but you stood out. Come on my podcast. Yep, my ego's bigger, widen the door, my head's not going to get through it, you know. And I dress like this is, this is my performance costume, what I'm wearing here. However... I've always had a thing for dressing differently mm. and dressing what I feel comfortable in and what I like. And what's strange is I brought this as a costume because I was always playing around that idea. I liked the braces. I liked the look. I am. Um, I like the look of a comedian mime clown called George Cull. I don't know if you're familiar with him. There's a British guy that spends a lot of time in New Zealand, a guy called Fraser Hooper. He's influenced by George Carl. I liked his stuff. Um, Charlie Fry. Oh, yeah. Again, worked with, worked under, studied along with George Carl. Has some of his stuff. You know, they all had that look and... The trousers are kind of, and the braces are my kind of lift on that look. But then also there's other influences that come in. Mm. But what's strange is when I got this as a costume, I liked it so much, I've actually bought two more pairs of these trousers and another jacket, and I wear that as a uniform now, and I have what look like the French stripe tops, but they're actually, dare I say it, Russian sailor submarine um, tops. I just have a pile of them, and that's my uniform. Mm. I've always had uniforms. Um, Literally, I went through uh, at college through the kind of uh, grunge era. I went through the sort of surplus military stuff and the plaid shirts, and I was doing that because they was around for the same reasons that were grunge bands was doing it because it was around and then when it all exploded it was like oh everyone's wearing plaid shirts and so it's like well yeah but it's been around for a Mm. while and when i first arrived to new zealand i collected lots of hawaiian shirts that were bought as a laugh on holiday soon as you get through customs you realize you don't look so good in that (laughs) shirt now and you throw it into the second-hand shop and some idiot buys them. But, like, I would wear these brightly coloured shirts. I would wear them with corduroy trousers. 
But again, it was a uniform. Mm. I just grabbed a pair of trousers and a shirt and bang. So I'm doing the same thing. Now, the two pairs of trousers are exactly the same and the seven shirts are almost exactly the same. Some are long sleeve, some are short sleeve. But it's a uniform. This is a costume. What's the difference? But when I put this on and especially put the hat on, and roll up, show the socks, have the polished boots, steel cap boots. Something happens. And something happens that parts of me get magnified, parts of me get bigger, and other parts of me just just get moved out of the way and put somewhere safely. Mm. And that and yeah, I'm I'm ready to attack. But it's not, it's all genuine. I think everything's genuine, even when I've got the costume on and I'm hiding bits away and things like, and exaggerating bits. It's all still me. And yeah, when I'm at the conventions, I'm having the best time ever. Oh, I'm yeah, just yeah. so freaking happy. Just a nerd fest, man. It's great. And and it's just like, I, 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 what are you doing? What are you doing? Oh, that's cool. No, I, I don't do any of that. Do you want? No, I don't want to learn any of it. But I'm glad you know it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Ask, yeah. Oh, hello. How are you? Oh, you do that. Yeah, yeah, cool. Excellent. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, and it's just bang, 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 bang. But it's interesting because, um, so, yeah, so basically the reason why I opened with that is that just to say, not to say that I'm worried about me liking uh, this, this thing of like breaking people down and understanding why they, you know, I'm not worried yeah. about that at all. It's just interesting because like it's just another thing that isn't normal. You know, it's not like the usual. It's not the thing that stacks up with society or whatever, um, which I guess makes me good on, you know, makes it a good thing for me in this scenario because I'm interested in learning about how, how, why the hell you wear these clothes. And, you know, <laughs> but like um, what I what I find fascinating, like, is that so for me, I was that group that you were talking about early on that was bullied a lot. Right. Yeah. And so I, 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 early on, I think I realized that like, if I stood out, it's a problem, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think what's interesting is that you had a extended amount of time in your life where you had like a safe space to be different. And even though maybe you weren't popular, yeah. the popular kids were sort of like, no, nah, they're cool. Don't worry about them. Right. So you sort of still kind of were able to foster that. And so I think for me, I learned, I only realized once I, you know, quite late that I'm like, wait, I don't actually give a shit <laughs> if if I you know what I mean if I'm not like the rest of the people let me just stand out how I want to stand out and and you know let that be you know I, I remember re- reading um The Art of Not Giving a Fuck by I think Mark Manson yeah and like you know he's a character and people can you know there's you know argue you know people can argue about his his whole shit left right and center but for me it's like the idea of polarizing you know you there's nothing worse than meeting someone and just not leaving any impression at all. Just, yeah. meh, you know, for someone that like, for me, I had massive social anxiety and I'm an extrovert. So it's the worst fucking combination because I want to talk to people. I want to hang out, but I'm fucking anxious, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so I just decided, you know what? Love me or hate me. I don't give a fuck. Yeah. Just one of the two, pick one and stick with it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so like, it, but it took me, as I said, it's, it's fucking in the last few years, you know, um, just because 
in school, I still was trying to be this cool kid and just failing terribly <laughs> and not realizing why. And it's like, yeah, I didn't care about the same things as the cool kids did. You know, like mm-hmm. I care about organizing my fucking board game thing. I don't give a shit about, you know, driving drunk and getting my shit, my, uh, my, uh, ID taken off me because, uh, you know, I, I was fucking reckless, but, but that's the cool thing to do. You know, like that doesn't sound appe- appealing to me at all, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, man, that's fucking interesting. And like, yeah, I've been, I've been wanting to have this conversation for, I mean, we did have it in, yeah. before the last we have it magic, in bits, but, but there's not, I, I grabbed this yeah. and very quickly there's six images here. This is what I use to talk to when I'm creating stuff. Mm. And um, we can take a picture of this and share this and stuff. Uh, Very quickly, like there's Tommy Cooper, which I just always found funny. And he was so, he was just so odd and just so weird and just so out there. There's a thing. People hate me because I did a reaction to him where I just didn't get his humor. But it's very, first of all, it's very UK humor one. Mm, yeah. And it's a, it's a slightly generational thing as well, totally. I believe. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, during the whole reaction, I'm like, I understand I'm not the audience. Yeah. Like I'm not the niche and like, I can see why I can understand it. I, just, I it's not my humor, but I think like the amount of people that were like, you fucking idiot. He was amazing. Like the amount of fucking fans that guy had. Yeah. I'm like, God damn, he was it, amazing. It, <laughs> Cause people attacked me yeah. left, right and center. <laughs> but it's, but again, it's that, it's that British institution. Like, and I find it freaking like just so annoying. Like how dare someone attack, a this comedian that's and like you know he you know there was items of hit and miss about him and 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 i think in a weird way it'd be interesting i might go and look at your reaction because it'd be interested to see what you saw but like yeah so it's got tommy cooper it's got this uh collage that i did for my dandy magazines and it's got this Joke shop by post. I used to love those little jokes, like freaking fart cushions and whoopee oh, yeah, cushions yeah, yeah, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. I loved that. And also the idea that you used to read it in the comic, send off for the catalogue. You'd get the catalogue by post. You fill out the order form. You send it off and your stuff comes through the I door. I missed that whole era. Like I missed that whole it's, era. It's like that's, that's where we lived. Um, there's Wiley Coyote there. Uh, Wiley Coyote never gave up. Things blew up in his face. The bird run through a tunnel he'd just painted. He runs through it. He smashes his face on the wall, you know. He never gives up. So it's like, you know. Um, there's um, Eric Malcolm as well. I don't know. Again, another British comedian, Malcolm and Wise. He had a very sort of disdain about the thing. And then there's a Banksy painting, which, A, I love the comment on the shirt of a monkey. Laugh now, but one day we'll be in charge. And I just love, again, how Banksy disrupts stuff. Mm-hmm. And is every question, every answer to every question about street art on the chase. And then there's an impossible rubik's cube in a glass bottle i need to get myself one of those and and all these all these things inspire me but reason i pulled it out is you were saying about being different and attracting 
I saw this in a shop and it was on special and I bought it and it's a little stick on badge that says, you're weird, I like it. And I read that. They was all in this box, this jar. I'm just searching for her and there was like enamel bed, bananas with smiley faces and sweet corn and stuff and strange little dog type things and stuff. I'm like... And I'd stopped at that and I read it. And there I am in this typo and it was quite busy. And I just burst out laughing. I just found it the funniest thing that there's this badge saying, you're weird, I like it. And I'm like, yeah, I like it too. Yeah. And if anyone else thinks they're weird, I want them to know I like it. And I've always, I got another one of these somewhere and I always mean to make it into a badge, but... I wear other badges that says other weird shit, so that's cool. But I just like that idea of like, yeah, let's celebrate this weirdness. Let's celebrate this stuff. And like, you know, if I can't be me, I can't stand in that room. It's as simple as that. And I'm not into these motivational word of the days and here's something to soothe you and help you. Oh, just get me a coffee and move on. But yeah, you're weird. I like it. Yeah, I can live with that. Yeah, it's good enough for me. Yeah, for sure. That's cool, man. Oscar Wilde said, be yourself. Everyone else is taken. Yeah. And someone sent that to me one day. They knew I was having a hard time. They knew I was struggling. Mm. And they just sent me that quote. And they knew that sending me quotes from people would send me over the edge. But they knew that quote was going to be All right, okay. here's one for you. Um, I, I w- yeah. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Can you just wait three seconds? Here's one for you before we move on to another topic. All right. Uh, look up <laughs> Jim Carrey and 50 Cent. Have you seen that video? Okay, okay. So there's a, there's a video of, of 50 oh, Cent... Yeah. Sing, you know, rapping his song, uh, find me in the club, ball of whatever the fuck he, his the lyrics are. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> and I think it's Jim Carrey's birthday or something, like birthday party, and he just starts like, like he takes off his glasses and starts like shaking his head like a maniac, <laughs> and even Fifty is like 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 trying not to laugh while he's rapping, and it's the most. It's like I've I've rewatched that that clip so many times. Because it's it's the most like it's it's exactly what you'd expect Jim Carrey to do in the most gangster environment of all time, and he's just being Brilliant. absolutely just crazy. And um, yeah, it's that that uniqueness, you know, it's that like that unapologetic uniqueness that like yeah, I'm trying to foster more and more. Cool, but, yeah. yeah, that's yeah. a fucking clip, man. And I, yeah, I, I next I, w- I wish we had a screen which we're going to put up at some point a screen for the reactions and stuff but I will oh, yeah. show you that clip right now because it's fucking hilarious I'm, I'm sure I'm sure that screen is just on your short list of five mint jobs yeah today. exactly yeah. <laughs> now <clears throat> I've been I've been sort of uh, working my way up and um, right now you do science shows in schools yeah, which is right. which is fascinating because not a lot of people that you meet I like you know do that sort of I guess it's a it's a type of performing yeah in a way yeah yeah how uh, do you how did you get into that 
Cool. Um, yeah. Uh, again, how long have we got? Um, so, um, from a young age, I've just been fascinated by stuff. That would be my specialist subject on Mastermind. Stuff fascinates me, and that. Um, so, how I got. Well, first of all, what I do now is me and my wife run a company called Science in a Van. We go into schools and do science shows. They're 45 minutes long. We do them to 250 to 500 kids at a time. They're big, they're loud, they're full of science demos. We blow giant bubbles and talk about mixtures. We fire rubber chickens and walk rockets and talk about forces. You know, they're, they're these crazy whirlwind full of science based around the uh, curriculum that is in schools but they're done in a very sort of loud and big way heaps of really bad puns terrible dad jokes some of the jokes are just there for me I tried joke out for four years when one person laughs in the corner, I jump off stage, hug them and never use a joke again. Like, you know, it's that kind of madness. And and they're big, they're fun and they're exciting and we travel all over New Zealand. Well, obviously there's been some restrictions, but normally we yeah. travel all over New Zealand doing that so we've we've been down as far as in Vicargal Bluff we was in Bluff when um the lockdown got strongly rumored and we drove three days to Auckland and stuff so we uh, you can't get any further I know there's Stuart Island but you can't get any further mm. and we've been far-ish up north so do you do those like seasonally like is there like a tour that you do and then for parts of the or is it sort of an all year round you're just hopping around or well, how does that work? Yes, yeah, so um how yeah, so how um we do lows in it's our full-time job. It's it's our main income mm-hmm. and it's been our main income for seven-ish years now, wow. if not a bit nice. longer. And and it's it's uh, um Auckland schools Hamilton schools around that kind of area, we do all of the time. Further afield needs to set up kind of tours. Now and then we might drive to an area and do schools either along a longer route or around that area for a week. When we go to the South Island, and this is what's been a hiccup of not doing it for a while, is Everything needs to be connected. Like, we're not going to drive a van full of props down to bloody Dunedin to do one show. Mm. It's just not viable. However, if we link it all together, maybe Wellington, then we get in and drive down to Christchurch, Dunedin, Invercargill, you know, and go around. Yeah, it all comes together. So the South Island tour normally happens in Turn 1. We did it in the first couple of years we was formed. We did it in Turn 3. That was a stupid idea because it's really cold when you're staying in cheap accommodation. And why would you have to drive down the road that you need snow chains on in a van? Anyway, moving on. So, yeah, so Turn 1 is when we normally do those. 
And then Auckland being, what is it, fifth of a population or something of New Zealand there in Auckland. So there's you could just run a business in Auckland alone. Right, but right. I like the idea of being international. You asked how we got into it. Me and my wife met working at the Science Museum in London. We worked in the education department, this informal learning, hands-on galleries. And I was there for nine years. My wife was there for seven years. We met at the Science Museum. The chemistry started there. Oi! See what I did there? There's my, the dad joke. Yeah, and if my wife was here, she would have jumped on that joke within seconds just to beat <laughs> me to it. And that, but yeah, so, so yeah, that's where we saw this and learnt the skills of presenting these ideas mm. and these concepts. And whenever you're in a workplace, you always know what should be done. You always know what's wrong. You always know how to do it better. And when we set up science in a van, yeah, we realised we didn't have a freaking clue. And things happen for a reason. But then also there were certain successes of like, yeah, see, it does work. Ta-da. You know. So what, you put together a show and what, you pitch it to the, the school? Or what, what, like, what's the process of like going from no shows, never done it, to we're now science in a van and also get us for your school? Like, you know what I mean? What's the... Mm. The binary zero and one is what yeah, is interesting because, yeah, yeah. like, once you do a couple, it's like we've done a couple. We have yeah. this portfolio, blah blah. blah you know, we blah, trying to trying to work out how much to say and how much not to say, like trim the fat off. So, two thousand ten, we finished that epic travel that I roughly mentioned. Mm. We walked across Spain, volunteered in India ended up in New Zealand. We had no idea what we was doing. M trained, my wife trained as a teacher. She realised it was hard work and gave it up. But when we came to New Zealand, we met a lot of her friends, which she knew at teacher training college and through stuff that were teachers. And we sat with them and they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, ah, we're just hanging around, bum around, see what happens. We've got a return ticket to the UK. We're just here for Christmas. We'll hang out for the summer. We'll see what happens. And they said, why don't you do one of your science shows? When we used to come over on holiday, we would do shows in people's schools for them or just sit with kids and show them experiments and stuff and that. And they said, why don't you set up a science show? So this idea of setting up a show that fitted in a car, we travel around New Zealand, do shows, it pays for the petrol money from place to place, was the first concept. That never actually happened, but that was the first concept. We then sat down and just worked out what it would look like and what we could do. And I started to read the New Zealand curriculum and see what was there. Be honest. How trash is it? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I have a I have a history of just trashing the New Zealand curriculum yeah. coming from Romania. You know, we, we when I came, I was year four. I came from like, you know, doing fractions and. You, you know, denominator, numerator, like, you know, adding shit, whatever, yeah. coming here. Uh, can you add 15 plus 12? 
um, yeah, sure. I'll do it. And like, can you show your working? It's like, no, it's uh. 15 plus fucking 12. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. what the fuck you want from me? Jesus yeah. Christ. So they would actually fail me because I couldn't show the workings. And I'm like, it's fucking, you know, I, it's just this answer. I just know it. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Uh, yeah. I like, you know, it's, the curriculum is there for a reason. And whatever that reason is, I don't know. But, um, well, I do know. Sorry, that was bad. But the, I think the biggest issue is, is when I look at the curriculum, it excites me because it's very open. Mm-hmm. It's very like, here's some things that at this age, at this level, they should be doing this. They should be able to identify that. They should be able to do this. Freaking awesome mm-hmm. if you know the subject. Yep. If you don't know the subject, I think a lot gets lost. And and science is our thing. We focus on the physical world and material world. And what happens is, and we've got to celebrate teachers here. Teachers are freaking amazing. They are working around a broken machine. And that's my viewpoint on the curriculum and certain parts of New Zealand education system. But the teachers that are at the coalface, want of a better word, are freaking amazing. And here's something that shows how amazing they are. 2011, we was being met at the school gate and there was all this stuff being done, done by Aero and other educational monitoring bodies that worked for or supported by the government and what they said is that science is lacking in schools and that science needs to be encouraged into schools and they would like to see an improvement of it we was being met at the school gates and teachers were saying we don't do any science at school we don't know any science and that and you're it and it's like cool and it was very fortuitous that science in a van set up at that time like we didn't know that that wasn't the plan and we didn't know that now we're going into schools and they've got science clubs they have a science model that runs out through their school some schools even have like science centers and maker spaces in their school and that's freaking amazing and the attitude that we're being met at at the gate is completely different and again Male, female, society, rada, rada, rada. Primary school teaching attracts a high percentage of females. Science education, uh, science study, sorry, science study attracts a lot of males. So you've already got an issue. Mm. People with science degrees are going to look at teaching and other opportunities around them. It's like teaching ain't attractive. Unless they've got that heart of, I want to be a teacher. Also pays fuck all. Which has got to be. But yeah, you can get a lot. You could work in a lab and get paid yeah, this, yeah, or yeah, you can yeah, work yeah, as a teacher you, and you get know, paid You know, means. a level entry science job yeah. with your science degree is going to be better paid or yep. similar paid to teaching. And teaching comes with a whole other box of nuts. Mm. And yes, teaching has got to be 
a passion thing that you want to do. But you've got to be attracted to it. And so, like, now we've got all these mismade things. So the fact that there's these teachers that ain't coming from a science background, which is perfectly fine. Me and Emily ain't. I studied fine art painting at college. She studied politics and something else and then went to be a teacher and then did something else and ended up at the science museum by mistake, you know. Mm. So you don't need to be a science. 300 years ago, the word science didn't fucking exist. Like Sir Isaac Newton was a natural philosopher. And everyone, at some point, science was, yeah, we live on a turtle. <laughs> yeah, and, and like, you know, and everyone, everyone is a scientist, you know. Everyone, everyone uses science as a tool. It's not, it's a tool and a way of thinking. It's not a thing and it's not a stuff. But, yeah, um, so when we go into schools, we do these shows and our biggest thing is, is make science fun make it exciting and break some of the barriers of science. You don't need heaps of fancy equipment. You don't need to wear a lab coat when you do it. If you look up science in the van on YouTube, you see this guy in a yellow T-shirt, knee-length trousers, yellow socks up to his knees, and I'm doing science. And my wife wears a similar kind of thing, and we're just two people in a t- in t-shirts just doing science just enjoying it with stuff you find around your house and i'll tell you what i'll show you something there it is here it is okay uh what camera's best to do this to uh if you hold so if i think your your angle is about to here yeah so if anything's behind there you're gonna probably see it is yeah. that correct mm-hmm. yeah yep, cool cool so in this bottle we have a little soy sauce fish. Okay. And what I'm going to do is science is one way of understanding the world around us. It's not the only way of understanding the world around us. But when we understand the world around us, we can control and manipulate the world around us. So I'm going to hypnotise this soy sauce fish. Watch closely. Sleep. 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 Now, the soy sauce fish has fallen asleep under my control. I've hypnotised the soy sauce fish. But when I click my fingers, it wakes up again. But if I go sleep, 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 I've hypnotised it again. And I click my fingers and it wakes. But if I go stop, 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 I can stop it clip my fingers and it wakes up again so i've hypnotized the soy sauce with my understanding of science i tell you what edward you're gonna get to hypnotize the fish yourself so hold it in one hand like so wave that hand magically and you squeeze with that hand nice and tight squeeze tight now he gets a little stuck so give him a little shake so he comes out the neck and squeeze. And now keep the pressure on and he sinks, but you let go of the pressure and he floats. So when we sit in a bath of water, the level of water rises. That's called water displacement. If we're heavier than the water, we push out of the way we sink. If we're lighter than the water, we push out of the way we float. 
So at the moment, that fish is lighter than the water it pushes out of the way, so it floats. But when we squeeze it, we create pressure that crushes the fish, taking up less room, so its volume has changed, pushing less water out of the way. It's now heavier than the water it pushes out of the way, so it sinks. So you're saying that the, the, the pressing of it actually reduces its like volume, the actual physical size it takes in the bottle. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Interesting. But the mass, the amount of stuff is still is, the same. Yeah, yeah, is the same. Interesting. So by reducing the volume, we've reduced the amount of water we displace. We're now heavier than the water we push out of the way, so we sink. That is fucking cool. And that's cool. And now as soon as you did it, I assumed it was to do with pressure, just based on understanding of what the only variable that can be changed. But I didn't understand why. It's still slightly confusing if yeah. I really think about it, but I think it makes sense. Yeah. Like, you know, with my like intuitive understanding. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And, and like, you know, when, when I, when I describe this and explain it, like, and people ask me questions now and then I just stop and go, I don't know. And it's okay to say that we don't know, but, also, by sharing the knowledge of water displacement, the fact that when we're heavier, we sink, and when we're lighter, we float. And, like, you know, things get said because we want to make stuff easy, we want to make stuff understandable, and we want to make stuff accessible. But we say that heavy things sink, light things float. That's nonsense. Things either, you know, things either fall or it, don't. Yeah, yeah, like, you know, Rena and the Titanic, they both floated. Not the best examples because they also both sunk, but they were big, heavy boats that mm. both floated. But then something happened to them, their mass changed, and they sunk. But they weren't light. Yeah. You know, either way, yeah. You yeah. know, there wasn't light things. So, yeah, it's cool. And like, what I love about this is it's a soy sauce fish. We all know the soy sauce fishes. You can fine tune them by getting them to float by filling them up with soy sauce, which, depending on what age group you're working with, is either something you set as a challenge or something you just do for them. And then I love it because I walk out and I go, I'm going to, like, we normally do this in teacher training, but we do it in walk round science with kids as well. And I go, I'm going to hypnotise the fish. And they see you hypnotise it. And then you click your fingers. And you spoke about getting people's attention in a room. Mm. Walk up to someone and go, hello, I'm going to talk about water displacement and I've got this here and I want to explain. They're not going to be interested. You walk up to someone and go, I'm going to hypnotise a fish. Yeah. Totally not what they're expecting. You do it. The first thing they do is, especially kids, but kids are wonderful. And what? You're not hypnotising it. You're not doing this. You're not doing that. Or we was at some... Um, holiday programs recently. And when I did it, I was like, oh, how do you do that? 
And now you've got the you've in. You've got them to ask the yeah. question. You've got the in. That's um, fucking genius. Because yeah. instead of telling some kid, like, this is what you should learn, because I said so, yeah. you yeah. now got them to to literally ask you for the re- for the answer. Yeah. And, uh, and a wise person said to me, if you want someone to be interested in saying, put in a box and just put it over there. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the honest truth. And again, this is... <laughs> if... If you want to talk more about me and what I am, this is it. So, in here, I'm going to explain this probably in three different ways, if that's okay with you. Fair enough. So, in here is something very... Oh, yeah, cool. I've just thought about saying that. Should have thought about it while ago. In here is something very, very special. You're very lucky that I've brought it here today. and It's in here. It's this stuff here. This here is the psychic purple potion of Papa Toy Toy. Ooh. Ooh. Now, what I'm going to do is show you the interesting properties of the psychic purple potion of Papa Toy Toy. I'm just changing things around because I right. realised the cameras are there. There we go. So, I want Ev, believe it or not, Edward. This will even work on pre-record. It's it's that amazing. Wow. Everyone at home is going to think of their favourite colour. Everyone that's watching this, and the Psychic Purple Potion will predict it. You watch. Everyone's thinking of a colour, and that colour is the colour pink. Now, there's part of your audience at home, they're going, that's wrong. But the ones that predicted pink are going, oh, my God, I can't believe it. He's a witch. Burn him. And to prove it's not fake, how could it possibly be fake? You're seeing it on the internet. It must be real. <laughs> Me just having a little go, but we move on. For the ones that didn't predict pink, they probably predicted blue. Now, normally... I get like 250 kids to shout this out. And I go, someone said pink, someone said blue and all that. And then I go, the psychic purple potion of Papa Toy Toy. Edward, have you ever heard the phrase, fact is weirder than fiction? Yes. This is not the psychic purple potion of Papa Toy Toy. What? What? This is red cabbage tea. (laughs) Take a red cabbage, chop it up, boil hot water over it, boil it if you want to. You end up with this stuff. And what this stuff actually does is indicate on the pH scale. The ah. pH scale, do you know it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So you wait, wait. So you can make an indicator from cabbage. Yeah. The fuck? So take a red cabbage, chop it up, pour water, boiling water from the jug. Yeah. The red liquid is that stuff it indicates. Wow. If you boil it, you just intensify it. You just get more out of it. Mm. Then you can dip in coffee filter paper, let it dry, and you have little litmus yeah, yeah, test yeah, yeah. sheets and stuff like that. Wow. So um, it turns pink when it hits an acid, turns blue when it hits an alkaline or a base, the opposite to the acid. Purples are neutral materials like water and stuff. Mm. So this is an acid. This is an alkaline or a base. So... um. People asked, oh, so you do science in a van? 
oh, do you use heaps of really cool chemicals? Yes, I use lots of really cool chemicals. And my two of my favourite chemicals are vinegar, which is an acid, and baking soda, which is an alkaline or a base. And people always know, but always ask, if we can mix them together. Now, I'm just going to check. Can that camera see this? Thumbs up. Yep, yep, cool. Thank you. There we go. Because we're now going to mix the two together. There should be a little bit more. Oh, there's a little bit of fizzing. Now and then it can foam up, but there's some fizzing and foaming Mm. in there. Yeah. And it's kind of turned more off a purple colour. So that shows us it's a neutral material. People are interested in things. I pull this out even before I say it's a psychic purple potion of papatoitoy. People are like, drink it, drink it. I do this experiment and do this. And every kid goes, this now is just basically, although this is a bit more vinegary, this is just basically baking so um, something called sodium acetate and water. So it's basically water with little bubbles of CO2 in it, mm. which is basically... Carbonated water, basically. Yes, or same as this stuff, but this is just full of... Um, water, some dodgy flavourings and colourings and <laughs> sugar that's really bad for us, especially at this time of night. I'm going to be crazy when I get home. But, yeah, so that's... That's, that's cool, man. That's that. an experiment that fits into the realm of kitchen science. Yeah. But now I've made it this magic presentation. Yeah. But I never present it as magic. I always reveal it, like whatever that means. But, yeah. yeah. I always like to bring it out as a red cabbage tea um, for psychic purple potion and do that. This box that it's made in is just me having some fun. I've made this. That's cool. Based on the boxes I used to see in the science museum of the 18th century science kits. And I've got like um, a little pipette here, a little set of tweezers. I've aged and weathered a book because another love of mine is prop making, model making. I made the box as well because I love making stuff and I've made it as a little 18th century science field kit. But we don't necessarily use it. I do use this in the teacher training and it gets some interesting comments about the storytelling mm. stuff and we both st- spoke about storytelling with cards but when i perform this on our stage show we have slightly bigger beakers off the mm-hmm. material but i still do the psychic purple potion and papatoitoy and we do a show about materials and i do that as the opening bit right and then at the end the finale is mixing them together and there's a whole heap of other stuff that happens in but a glove inflates by a gas being produced, cans get crushed by cooling them quickly and all lots of other crazy shit. We have a disco halfway through it to explain <laughs> the difference between solid, liquid and gases and that. And yeah. And, and that's, that's it. And that's a perfect way to make your brain, you know, create this thing <laughs> that a normal person would not fucking do this shit. You yeah. know what I mean? Like th- that's what, that's if, if anything, if anything we take away from this, is just be yourself, right? Mm. Because yeah. 
you can't, I mean, if you try to be someone else, you're going to be second best at best. So, yeah. And, and like, you know, it's, it's like, you know, again, what's here is, you know, my fine art degree. Mm. What's all this psychic purple potion stuff is magic performing, you know, all this other, all these other things that come into this are just, again, like, you know, my art, do me studying art, Gave, I the skills there are in making this and conceptualizing this and working it out. The the knowledge that I gained looking at stuff in the science museum give me the way to build this and look at it, you know. And and I think that's something we forget sometimes. It's like all these experiences we have just add in. And you say about how I was going for getting ready for something magic for. One of the routines talk about that. Like, you know, there's two certain disease in life. We're born, we die. Yeah. But our life, the joy of life, isn't analysed by how we was born and how we died. It's all, all those things in between, in between yeah. and how all those things come together. Like, you know, it's very bizarre, some of the experiences that I have. Like, what is stuff in envelopes? the marketing team explained the marketing strategy and why the envelopes needed to be stuffed in a certain way. Who who, who cares? Yeah. But by stuffing the envelopes correctly and being explained their strategy meant I kept that job, which was freaking important at that time. But then 20 years later, when I'm setting up a business, I'm like, oh, how do you market? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like me with the, you know, the reaction videos. It's like I did this thing that burnt out on and, you know, wasn't happy with anymore and then took a massive break. And it's like, well, that was a waste. No, it wasn't. Because then I, you know, I have the skills and the understanding and the knowledge to make yeah. this. And then if this falls through at some point, I use this, what I learned here to go to the next thing. Yeah. And it's, at the end of the day, we I swear I've been talking about this in every fucking episode so far, but if you enjoy the process, right, the destination will come whether you like it or not. Oh, right? yeah. The, the, the being born part and the dying part, those are the two fucking unchanged variables. It's the in-between that, that we actually live in, right? It's the now that we live in. Yeah. So you might as well, you might as well live in the now and you might as well enjoy it and you might as well make use of, whatever you have in the now and enjoy the process. Absolutely. And yeah. And I think like, you know, through trying stuff out and doing stuff, it's like when, when, when the lockdown happened for us, that massively affected what we do for a living. We are not going into schools to do science shows. So we are now screwed. Like, yep. we are stuffed. But forget the money transaction side of it. The bigger thing is, is what our identity is, being these science communicators yeah. going into schools, is also took away from us. Mm. So now we have no income. 
and we can't be who we are. So we go, ooh, there's this thing called YouTube, and we've put videos up very sporadically on YouTube and stuff, and we're like, right, let's do a live show from our shed every day during lockdown. What could be simpler? Oh, my God. First of all, to go live on YouTube, on your phones, you need a 1,000 subscribers. So we get all our phones set up, we hit go live, it doesn't work because we ain't got 1,000 subscribers. Our first show was shot from our laptop and the webcam on the laptop Mm. being balanced on a stall in front of us. We fine-tuned that, we got that working, we got the 1,000 subscribers, we got the phones working. Now... We're doing live shows from our shed, live science shows from our shed, booked by schools, they pay for it, and booked by them. We've got two GoPros set up. We've got this control desk. We've got this computer that feeds slides and other information into it. That all goes through this control desk into another machine, another computer, that is streaming our thing through whatever medium the schools want us to stream through. And it's just like... Based, yeah. off, based off that kind of unfortunate situation, yeah. you've built something out of it. See, while, while I was fucking fucking around in lockdown and playing 16-hour days <laughs> of the stupid-ass 2D text game, 2D game, you were actually doing something. something. Yeah, but, <laughs> but like, like, like what... I actually, I actually brought that up as like this celebration of this, like yeah, yeah. But like you know, you know a lot more about that computer game. I'm like, oh my god, there was yeah. But I mean, I can fucking yeah. put put handcuffs on a guy and throw him in jail and escape jail and do all the stuff that you know it takes weeks to learn. But there's like 300 people worldwide that play this fucking game yeah. and it doesn't matter. You know what yeah. I mean? So yeah. anyway, if, uh, if people want to find you, where can they find you? Um, oh, um, best thing to find me is, um, science in the van. Just On YouTube. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, We've got a Science in the Van website. We've got Science in the Van YouTube so, to so find out. Well, is it a scienceinthevan.com? Or? It's just, um, yeah, so I'm trying to remember. Uh, scienceinthevan.co.nz okay. will get you to our website. Science in a Van is a YouTube stuff. And we've got Science in a Van at um, Instagram as well and Facebook. Nice. That. The... The social media content we put up is just us trying to engage with our audience and if we think it's interesting, we hope that someone else finds it interesting and useful. So we're just sharing stuff that we see. A YouTube channel varies from the content we put up. Something that's going up soon is we've got our AV equipment that every time that needed setting up, all the leads needed to be took out, everything needed to be plugged in, everything needed to be set up, and that I've built a box for it that slides into one of our toolboxes that we use for our props. Now you just pull it out, you plug it into the wall, and everything's ready to go. 
So is that like the video is you building that box? And the, yeah, sorry, yeah. The video is me building that box. And it's not a how-to because no one else is going to need to build a box to these specifications to fit in the box. But a lot of people love that, a lot, like, you know, there's that whole fucking, um, what's it called? Like the primitive, have you seen those primitive shelters that people build? Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. it's just like some guy, no talking, just... Yeah. Chopping away at wood and stacking it and making a little house and hut in the wilderness, this, you know. Yeah. People like to watch that yeah. sort of stuff. And this and this video is just it starts with me pulling the tape measure out, measuring the box, writing it on a piece of paper. That's one. Pro, that's part of the process. Then there's me just sawing a piece of wood. Then there's pieces of wood coming together. There's me cleaning up pieces of wood, drilling holes in pieces of wood, and painting pieces. But it's only like four or five minutes long. Yeah, so that's, that's what so I would it's all these little... Yeah. Again, your, your ADHD friend and his snippets of stuff, it's like, I just want to show that there's lots of things that happen to make the thing happen. Yeah. But you don't need to know fully what I'm doing. And... Once you've seen me take a big piece of wood and make it smaller, you know, I start the cut, the video jumps to me finishing the cut. You don't need to see me saw again. Yeah. You know, and I use hand tools as well. I love hand tools. I make tools and stuff and I love it. But you don't use power tools? No. At all? No. Now and then I occasionally use a sander because sanding is freaking boring. Yeah. But... No, I I use hand tools because I live in I live in a rent accommodation, so there's limits of what I can set up. Also, I live actually quite close to people, so noise is an issue. Mm. And hand tools ain't necessarily quiet, but they're quiet and power tools. And I just enjoy it. I mm. just enjoy. There's that, like a routine of it. That, a, that, that it's it's got a nice from start to finish. Yeah. It's your own hands. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. And and it's just there's there's no purist bullshit here. Like now and then I do get access to workshops and I use power tools. Like there's there's none of this. It's a purist way. It's the only way. But there's just something really nice mm-hmm. about just spending time and just using that time in a way that is very nice and quiet and very sort of controlled and very cool. And it's nice to think that this stuff happens. Sometimes I am like, I could really do with bandsaw now. But everything I make is one-offs. Everything I make is small Mm. and small doesn't necessarily mean it's simple and quick. You know, if you build a shelf that is 20 foot long and a shelf that is five foot long, in a lot of ways, they're the same thing. Yep. Because you you need the two supports there and whatever you make. But, yeah, um, it's there. But, yeah, I, I enjoy hand tools and I've made my own hand tools as well and stuff. Wow. You should put up a video. you making your own tools. That's fucking cool. I would want to see that. Yeah. Um. There is a um, 
Alan Warman is on Instagram and that is a very sort of maker focus thing. And yeah. I've got a... So A-L-A-N-W-O-R-M-A-N. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm just checking. Yeah. I just recently changed them because... I'll put the links in the yeah, description. My, my, my Instagram used to be Warman Allen. Right. For some reason, I wasn't allowed Alan Warman, but that changed. Mm. And my YouTube can be found under Alan Warman or Make Stuff Happen. Make and, stuff it's just, happen. Cool. and it's just me messing about in my shed. And those 15 videos I put together was just a way of me documenting what I did mm. and what I've done and stuff. And, yeah, it was a really enjoyable process of going through that thing. There's no big plans of me becoming this YouTube celebrity maker, you know? Yeah, man, but people can see your process, man. Yeah, but, yeah, people that are interested can see it there. And I, I don't show me making tools and stuff but i show some of the stuff that i've made and some mm. of the tools well, the next that time I've made. You, you make one yeah because i yeah. want to see what the hell you're doing yeah that sounds uh, crazy i've, uh, never, I've uh, never heard of anyone oh, yeah, i make my own tools what yeah you what it's 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 a great process and i i i only <laughs> just got imagine it. you digging for iron you know yeah. <laughs> just yeah well <laughs> minecraft um, stuff. we the first ones that i made we heat treated the metal for it as well jesus so like you know there's this a long story very short. Two, I've always been into making and creating stuff, and magic has been a beautiful creative outlet and stuff. At college, I used to paint and do sculpting and print and stuff. For a very long time, I didn't really make the occasional model, the occasional Lego kit. Now and then, I'd whack things together, made the shelves for the back of our van for our science props and stuff. But, yeah, very sporadic stuff. 2019, well, 2018, I saw a course for working with hand tools at a new community shed called the Warren in town. I signed up for it because I always got to the end of my woodworking knowledge very quickly. Mm. Projects would turn into disaster and I would rush them and I, at like 9 o'clock at night, I'd just throw as many screws into the thing as I possibly could and it freaking work you know and that kind of stuff so i went there but little did i know that i was going to go down this path of hand tool woodworking and also really rewoken the maker up in me and things like that happened mm. as a result of this now this is just mdf board which is one up from your phone board but yeah, your yeah. phone board is perfectly cool i cut it all with a standing knife it's all painted with acrylic paint. So it's not an example of fine woodworking, but the skills and the knowledge I learned from that went into that and it really reawakened my my maker in me. And 2017 especially, I had quite an episode of depression. Mm. And this reawakening, this rediscovering of making... And this journey of woodworking really freaking helped with that. And now I just can't stop. I'm addicted to making stuff. Like um, you talked about your little chop cup yeah. and you're getting some yeah, uh, yeah. Monty disc yeah. made, didn't you? Yeah. And the first thing I said to Edward is, if you need a box for those. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I didn't know about your addiction of boxes at that time. So <laughs> yeah, but foam core boxes don't yeah. really work for for big props, you know. I've, I've, um, I'm in a process of making a Vanderkrammer Curiosity cabinet, which is six tricks that I love, but I don't really perform. They're not really made, but I like performing them. So I've put them in this. I'm building this cabinet for them. And it's all out of wood and it's all hand tooled and stuff. Bit of electric sanding, don't tell anyone. And the um and that. But I'm building this cabinet. And the idea is is that when someone comes around my house for dinner and they're interested in me being a magician, they take a dice from the cabinet, they roll it, whatever number it lands on, we open the drawer in the cabinet. And we perform the trick that's in that cabinet. That's cool. And that's I'm building, I'm building that cabinet now. But one of the versions off that was made out of foam board, mm. and and you know it's it's weird the the AV box that we spoke about because the box it went into was an unusual. It's got these ribs in the plastic to strengthen it. Working around those was weird. The speaker that is the main part of it is an unusual shape. So sitting down and planning that, I struggled thinking, oh, there's so much to think about. So what I did is I just started to build the box, kept putting the speaker in it, sliding it into the box, checking it fitted, and just kept going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And slowly built the box around it. This, I have an image of how it, looks but i draw it out and i work out the whole space and dimensions and everything and and there's quite a design drawing about that the uh vanderkrammer cabinet for these six tricks i just took each effect and built the cabinet around it and two of them are in drawers so i built it there then i built the body around it there's another effect that stands in it and then there's two other boxes that go on it. So it just slowly evolved and with foam board you can cut and remake that's how that I did, stuff. That's and, how I did my stuff. And yeah, that, and just... that. So it's three, it's three different approaches. The AV cabinet was built in this concept which they call build it in space that you just slowly mm. build it from your materials upwards. This was very planned and diagrammed and drawn out. I find it much more boring to do it this way, though, because once the plan's there, there's no like you just follow the plan. Yeah, for me, like yeah. when I when I do my my board games, if if I you know I there's, there were when I was cutting for my one for this game, there was the option to just take someone else's dimensions and everything and do it myself and just cut cut out what they did. Yeah, and I was like, no, that's that's I'm just reading. Measuring, cutting, reading, me- like that's not fun. Yeah. So I just freehand everything. Just, just somehow ended up to ended up fitting perfectly, but oh. I didn't know it was gonna. You know what I mean? Like I just started and just built yeah. it up and. Like I say, yeah. that's that's how I built the AV case. Yeah. But then, the Vanderkrammer box. I made this foam one, and I made that in space, and now I'm working that into wood. The thing. I will say is working out the space of these three holes is something that if I do on paper, 
I can look at it, I can rub it out, I can adjust yeah, it. Yeah, that's true. As soon as you drill the three holes, you're buggered. So, like, I don't, again, I don't think there's a right and wrong thing. And again, back to your cards. Like, there's three different ways that I've done that. I've planned a project and I've produced, the pro- I've had the idea, I've gone through a process, I end up with a final thing. Three different ways. But there was elements of this that I kind of guessed and made in space. Mm. There was elements where I sat down with the AV kit and just actually physically drew on the item of yeah. where things would fit and go. Obviously for and this I, table when I was making it, yeah. it was very planned. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, because I mean, otherwise it would just come out looking like shit. Oh. So, you know, like when it, when it, when you need the spacings to be exact, when you need the circle to be exact, when you need each cup to be, you know, we need a center line where cups yeah. are symmetrical on either side. You know, I mean, of course and, you're going to plan it. And as soon as you get this big, whatever you're making it from, your financial investment <laughs> yeah, increases. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And and at this moment in time, you know, price a bit of wood up tomorrow, price it in a month's time. Mm-hmm. It's frightening how much materials yeah. are changing. But yeah, as soon as you get this big... A, it's got to be right. And then also, yeah, <laughs> your financial investment. 100%. You cut it You cut a wrong, you make a wrong cut. You're like, oh, fuck, I got to yeah. go. Another. And it's just not only that, you got to go back to Bunnings, mm. load it back in the car. You know what I mean? It's a whole yeah. fucking, it's the mission of getting the piece of wood to your house as well as the oh, price. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a nightmare. And don't advertise that we own a van. <laughs> now, if you own a van, make sure it's always full of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And also, you're never going to have your weekends to yourself. But to all the friends that I have helped move, I've generally lo- I generally love you and I generally enjoyed the moving experience. And pizza can get you a lot. <laughs> so- <laughs> awesome, man. This has been a fucking great time. Oh. Glad to have you on. And... Um- yeah, I'm sure we're going to do another one at some point. Yeah, uh, Dev was saying we should do a, a one with like you know all three of us. Oh, I need I cool. need to get another mic for that, but eventually yeah. at some point in time we'll do that and yeah. uh, it'll be fun. And like to you and Amy doing all the technical stuff, like the fact that you're using your skills to create a place for people to tell stories, and those stories are going to be recorded and let's say archived. I think is a fantastic thing. So thank you so much for A, letting me tell my story and sharing your story as well. I'm in your house, so thank you for your hospitality to you and Amy and the fact that you're creating this space for this to happen. Like, it's freaking awesome. Oh, thanks, man. It's it's our pleasure. We've we've had a lot of fun. Cool. And uh, yeah, now we've just got to edit a bunch. But apart from that, it's going to be great. And apparently you're giving me a lift down. Oh, yeah, 100%. And I'm sure we're going to sit in silence <laughs> and not carry this conversation out. <laughs> should we just, Amy, should we just move everything to the car? Yeah, let's move it to the car. That's fine. <laughs> Woo. Yeah, good luck working through that, guys. See ya. <laughs>